You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 401. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 3E in Sarasota, Florida. Today's show is recorded on the 21st of November, 2019. Today's episode, the UK refuses entry to shower attendants on Emirates flights, and the door of a Qantas A380 was almost totally ripped off as the plane left the hangar. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, if it ain't Boeing. So get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 401 is ready for pushback. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast. I'm a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today from, well, I was going to say her lakeside home, but she's not there. She is in Berlin, Germany. She's a, a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, a strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. And we all know her as Dr. Steph. Hey, that's me. And I apologize for probably my poor signal here, too. And hopefully you can hear okay. Um, I am quite tired, but looking forward to a great show. And we'll see how long I hang in there with you guys tonight. And we're going to find out why after just a bit. And also joining us from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, Former captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Starting the next 100. Uh, how long is it going to take us to get to the, the big 5-0? Uh, oh, I don't know. Not sure. Yeah. Oh, we've already been yeah, to the big 5-0. Well. You mean the big 5 <laughs> Yeah, I guess I do. Uh-oh. 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 Yeah, probably about sooner. 99 more shows. <laughs> <laughs> She's very correct about that. Also yeah. joining us from I'm not even sure where he's from I think he's in Louisville, Kentucky at the uh, Hilton Garden Inn am I right about that? Okay, he's shaking his head yes barbecue master, motorcycle rider pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, it's Captain Dana Hello everybody, great to be back on another fantastic episode 401 Yay! (laughs) So a little behind-the-scenes information here. We've been trying to get this go- this show going for about almost an hour. <laughs> we, I think we got it now. I think we got it now. Anyway, uh, great to see everyone. And let's start off with the news. Stand by for news.
Now, I'll start off by telling you that we don't have a lot of good news. <laughs> just kind of, uh, it's okay news. It's we're, we're, we're just putting this stuff in here just because we have a new segment. we got to talk about something. So let's start off with this. This is, this is huge. Uh, from, I don't know where this is from, uh, the uh, onemileatatime.com. I think it's a, a blog. Uh, apparently, Emirates 380, A380 shower attendants, I think uh, Stephanie knows something about this, uh, have um, been, uh, uh, well, let's see, let me read this here so I get it straight. Emirates is known for having shower suites on their A380s, which are probably the coolest thing you'll find on any commercial aircraft. All three cabin A380s have two of these shower suites. And moving on, Emirates has a dedicated shower attendant on every A380 flight that is long enough to offer showers. The catch is that these attendants aren't actually flight attendants, so they don't have a flying license. They don't have to go through the same training as flight attendants. They technically have to be seated when the seatbelt sign is on. They're paid significantly less than Emirates flight attendants. And it used to be that there were two shower attendants on ultra long haul flights, and they've reduced that to one. And when that is the case, shower attendants shared rooms on layovers. Anyway, it looks like the UK, uh, they don't like shower attendants apparently. They are taking issue with Emirates use of shower attendants. Effective immediately, Emirates is no longer rostering shower attendants on UK flights, including to London, Manchester, and Glasgow. As Emirates describes it, they have been informed by UK Border Patrol or Control that they have a restriction with entry of non-licensed crew. Essentially, airline crews have special visa privileges on account of being crew. However, since shower attendants technically aren't crew and don't have flying licenses, they don't benefit from that. Or at least that's what the UK has now decided. Uh, so, what do you think about this? Is this is this earth-shattering to you? And, and Steph, uh, tell us about your experience in that wonderful shower suite and... Uh, and I'm wondering, are the are the shower attendants um, females or males, or does it matter? Um, I don't know, because um, my experience with a shower on an A380 was with Edgehunt. Oh, and sorry. <laughs> I believe it was, well, I believe it was actually just a flight attendant for the uh, first class cabin who uh, had it set up and ready to go. I don't think there was a special separate attendant, if okay. I recall correctly. I might not be, but I don't remember there being a separate attendant for the shower. I can kind of understand the UK border control um, having an issue with the fact that uh, these visa, um, special visa allowances or restrictions don't apply to people that don't have, uh, that aren't either pilots or flight attendants. What do you think about that, Nick? Well, if they're not crew, and by the sounds of it, they're, they're not. They're not officially uh, termed, they don't have the training, they're... Um, I'm not quite sure what you call them. They're employees, but uh, they're definitely, uh, if, they, if they're not trained as part of the aircraft crew, then I'm, I'd be hard pushed to call them crew. Then I think uh, both your country and mine would have a similar problem because we need crew visas to get in. Uh, and uh, you'd have to abide by the country's uh, rules. And obviously, uh, border uh, control here have turned around and said, Nat, you're uh, bending the rules here. Um, I'm not surprised that the uh, the flight attendants are up in arms as well because this person effectively uh, does their or is on board and taking the place of one of the cabin crew, which means they're probably working on a 
much lower wage. They don't need to be so well trained, um, but they're on board, probably wearing a uniform. I'm not quite sure where they stand uh, with the rest of the crew either. It sounds to me like uh, Emirates are just trying to save some money by employing people at below the standard rate without any safety training, which is going to confuse the passengers because if they go up to someone uh, who's acting as part of the crew, they expect them to know what's going on, particularly in an emergency. So I'm not sure how this works. So I'm wondering if we had anybody in any of our chat rooms that uh, would maybe know somebody that flies for this airline that might be able to tell us, uh, you know, like through the grapevine, uh, that uh, how they, uh, how some of the flight attendants feel about these shower attendants. I don't know. Um, if you're listening out there and have any uh, information about that, let us know. <laughs> Especially if you're in the yeah. chat. Yeah, I, mean, I just want to know if you have to tip them. Like when you go to the uh, the restroom in a club and they always sit there with their mints and always with the water running and ready to put, uh, you know, soap in your hands if you have to give them a tip. Why, what what do they do? What 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 do what does a shower attendant do really? Wipe it down probably and change the towels. That is my guess. Oh yeah, I would agree. That's probably what the the extent of their duties. Okay. Huh. Well, I'd never you know. Of course, I've never been on an airplane with a shower to begin with. And well, hang on a minute. There's one in the flight deck. You're a complete shower up there, aren't you? Ah, uh, bam. I was going to say you you need to take a shower every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Wow. wow. That's what Dana says when he walks in the cockpit. Wow. When I'm in there. Wow. <laughs> anyway. I mean, this this is a bit like uh, the time when Virgin had uh, beauticians. Um, they didn't fulfill the same role as cabin crew, but they performed a service. They wore a different uniform. They wore a white uniform as opposed to a red one, but they were there and part of the crew, um, and they were paid on a different pay scale. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether it was more or less, but uh, I suspect it was, you know, something similar. But the fact is that they weren't actually a member of the cabin crew as such. I think there's somebody that is in the chat room that's saying that uh, according to someone they know, uh, that they're an enormous help and that they work hard not only in first class, but all over the aircraft. So, you know, uh, I don't um, yeah. I don't fault them yeah. for trying to, you know, save some money, I guess. And, uh, well, and I would, I would think too, maybe there, you know, if it is, if there's a lot of people waiting to use the shower, so the shower, um, at least on the other carrier, is only five minutes worth of time. So they are turning that shower over rather regularly. If your flight attendants and other crew members are busy, you need someone additional to do that particular job if you offer that service. Um, so I agree on, on kind of both counts there, but. I don't know. Is there some workaround for that? Perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, apparently they wear slightly different uniforms, but only have partial SCP training. So you get some training. Uh, they'd have to have some training on the aircraft systems, wouldn't they? But uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. Someone else is saying that uh, there are translators that are uh, not crew members that work on some aircraft. I do remember when uh, we used to pick up a lot of. Uh, unmins uh, um, from countries, particularly at the end of school term, say in Hong Kong, we used to fly a lot of 
um, unaccompanied minors, uh, you know, who would finish their school term were coming back to Hong Kong for holidays. Their parents wouldn't fly with them. So we'd have, you know, a large number and uh, we're not allowed to have more than a certain number on board because they require a bit of uh, supervision. Uh, and uh, we used to employ a sort of auntie that went with them. And each auntie, I think, was allowed to look after 15 or 20 of these kids. And they basically... Um, and I can't remember if they were on the gen deck as well as the crew or whether they were a passenger. I don't know. But uh, uh, that, that was a job that they actually uh, enjoyed doing since most of them were retired uh, cabin crew themselves. Yeah, I don't. I really don't see that there's a bit. I guess some several other people are saying, uh, for instance, Ray Williams, my neighbor up in uh, Alpharetta, back in the day, Lufthansa would. Oh, I just scrolled down. <laughs> um, would have attendants that were basically on board to help parents with kids, babies, as you were just mentioning, Nick, um, translators, I believe, um, that airplane 800 is Peter Biondi, uh, from the, uh, uh, Atlanta airport, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I guess there's a, there is a need for having people that have certain roles and, um, expertise and, uh, they don't necessarily need to have all the trainings, uh, training that a flight attendant does. And if it means having to go through customs uh, with the passengers, uh, I would imagine that they would probably still want to do the job because they get to travel. And that's probably why they're doing these sorts of jobs, I would imagine. I suspect they've just fallen foul of the type of visa they have. That's yeah. probably the limit of it. Okay. Well, we made a lot out of this that we really didn't need to. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. So we can move on Steph, to the Steph's drinking heavily. <laughs> I know. I see that. Okay, we're hurrying, Steph, because she right, wants to I go to bed. To I'm going to have to start on a second Coke here, and then I won't be able to sleep, oh boy. and I'll really be in trouble. Uh, item B, Qantas A380. Oh, another 380 story. Uh, grounded after door almost ripped off at the Sydney airport. And uh, let's see. Uh, a door on a Qantas A380 has been almost totally ripped off after one of the airline's double-deck airplanes struck scaffolding as it was being rolled out of a maintenance hangar. At Sydney Airport, the incident in the hangar at Qantas, Qantas's jet base late on Friday forced the cancellation of QF7 from Sydney to Dallas in the U.S. on Saturday afternoon. Of course, this was some time ago. It's been in our news folder for a couple of weeks here. That was due to, uh, let's see, uh, the door was almost totally ripped from the Qantas A380's fuselage. Uh, the airline already had two A380s on the ground undergoing refurbishment in Brisbane and Abu Dhabi. In the Middle East, the A380 is the flagship of Qantas's fleet, of which it has 12. Uh, the damaged A380 registered Victor Hotel Oscar, Oscar Quebec Bravo had been undergoing routine maintenance in Hangar 96 at the jet base and struck a support structure as it was being pulled out in readiness to re-enter service. Oopsies. Okay, I'm going to say how the hell do they manage to do this? Because that door, even when it's fully open, does not stick out far from the fuselage, does it? I mean, the, these doors, uh, they come out away from the fuselage and then slide to the side. They can only be 18 inches, two feet proud of the aircraft. Yeah, you'd think so, they'd move the scaffolding further away when they're moving Well, yeah, and the yeah. tug driver must have been driving damn close to it you know it's the sort of distance where you'd start worrying about him taking off uh pedo probes and uh and aoa veins and dinking the paintwork so i well 
yeah, he hooked a door. So I'm just going, really? Or was it actually scaffolding or a jetway or something? It, no, it, was it a, sounds it, like there's more to it. Than it was this. it was scaffolding. It was in a hangar. Um, hey, we see <laughs> Steph's brother. How you doing? Hey, hi, Joe. Hi, everybody. Hey, Joe. Hi, Joe. We hi, need Joe. you there with a pin. And every time Steph starts nodding <laughs> off, you got to stick it in a... Well, he probably can't hear what you're saying. But... His job is to keep me awake. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> great. I hope they're having... I know they're having a great time with their sis. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, I don't... Uh, yeah, if you looked at the... Uh, well, I don't have them here, but if uh, the original article uh, from the... Uh, Sydney Morning Herald, uh, that link there, um, they have some pictures of it. And it really, they did a number on that sucker. I mean, they didn't just kind of bump it. They like literally ripped it off its hinges almost. So I don't know what was going on there. Obviously not paying attention by the tug driver, apparently. No, apparently uh, it was uh, definitely not paying attention. Probably didn't have any wing walkers or anybody to Door uh, walkers. What? They need door, door walkers. walkers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something. Just going, you know, eyeball that space. Yeah, that looks big enough for an A380 to fit through. Yeah, yeah it's not sure. a very big Why not? airplane. Yeah. Yeah, we have seen the pics of the uh, A380 door. <laughs> it's, yeah, mangled. Yeah, that, that was probably a little expensive. Um, Let's see. Item C, we're moving on. <laughs> Steph, you're still with us. That's good. Um. Hang on, buy a thread. It's okay. Weird. So let's see. In Dubai, uh, they're having a big air show over there, I believe, or did. Um, Airbus Chief Commercial Officer Christian Scherer forcefully rejected the notion that his company is benefiting from the grounding of Boeing's 737 MAX fleet while speaking to CNBC during the Dubai air show. I really need to connect, uh, correct that cultural belief. This does not benefit anyone in this industry, the least of which would be Airbus, he told CNBC's Hadley Gamble on Sunday. It's a tragedy. It's an issue for Boeing to resolve, but it's not good for competitors to see problems on any one particular airplane type. The 737 MAX fleet of roughly 400 planes has been grounded across the globe since mid-March. After two crashes in less than five months, the grounding has forced airlines to cancel thousands of flights driven up costs and dented airlines profits. Uh, so um, interesting to, um, to get his viewpoint regarding this. I mean, I would have thought, you know, just, I guess I'm simple minded that this would help Airbus, but apparently he says forcefully, no, it's not helping anybody. Well, I don't understand how, and you would need to explain the logic to me before I do, because I'm like you, Jeff, I'm going, how can this not help? Airbus, their direct competitor for the uh, A320 series aircraft has been grounded for months and uh, is likely to receive drops in orders that will only benefit Airbus in the future. So how does this not help them? So, I Well, I think, it, it, I think from a business standpoint, it really does. But from a PR standpoint, is that what you want to come out and kind of look like you're really gloating or reveling in someone else's troubles because, you know, as things go sometimes, if things are reversed down the road for some reason or another. <laughs> you're hoping that they're going to say nice things about <laughs> about yeah. your airplane when you're having yeah. issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I, the I whole industry, 
Yeah, I, I understand that point of view, and I uh, I think you're right. There are a lot of passengers would be put off if uh, Airbus started crowing about it, but uh, uh, and I think the whole industry doesn't do itself any favors when it's under a, a PR spotlight like this, um, because any aircraft incident becomes amplified enormously, uh, regardless of whether it's Boeing or Airbus, when you've got aviation in the news. You know, I, I, we'd all much rather we were out of the news and just got on doing our job. Well, and that's, and that's exactly it. I mean, think of it. Most people don't really understand what the difference between an Airbus and an in a 737 is. I mean, we in the aviation community, of course, we know what the difference is. But, you know, it, it's a black eye on the entire uh, manufacturing community, I, I would think, um, as Boeing in as Airbus is kind of indicating here. And, and even so with the uh, the new uh, um, um, Airbuses that are coming out, that was the Neos they're having problems with. So, you know that I think that's having an effect too because they're having to be extra cautious now because of all the problems that Boeing uh, with the, the the Max has had. So it is a it is a, a media nightmare because think of it. I mean, how how accurate and how often are the folks in the media really talking really accurate? Yeah, Not. yeah, they point. don't. So you know, it doesn't take very much for the facts to get strewn away, and 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 the whole industry takes it. So I can I can kind of see his point here. I think that they were in a bar together in Dubai and just, you know, having a whole bunch of beers and, you know, he's thinking this Boeing dude, he's, he's a pretty nice guy. I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about his, his Boeing because <laughs> he's a beer buddy now. That's what I think happened. Right. Anyway. And I know somebody was over there, Nev and Carlos, and that's what they told me because they were in the same pub drinking with these guys. Yeah. <laughs> why did that not surprise me that they were able to manage their way into Bar. Didn't they go over in an Airbus and come back in a Boeing? They're very even-handed, aren't they? Yeah, very. They did. Very they went on the, the 1000, right? Uh, I think yep. it was yeah. a 1350. Yeah, I'm quite impressed with that. 47400 on the way back. Hey, so uh, John, John McElroy in the um, Facebook chat says, connection not often being made are the fuel slash emission savings that are not happening with the grounding of the MAX. Now, I'm not sure, but I would guess that I'm not sure. In fact, there are probably more emissions now because they're having to put in older technology airplanes to make up for the loss of sea capacity to get these flights performed and passengers on their uh, to their destinations. Yeah, right? I'd agree. If you're if you're keeping those ancient old airplanes burning coal burners going when you could have nice uh, fuel efficient brand new machines, it's bound to hurt the uh, emission standards. Yes. Right. That's the way I would think. It would be happening. Uh, anyway, we'll see. But it's a, an interesting point, nonetheless. Okay, moving on still. Um, we have an update. There was a news item that we talked about before uh, where there was an American Airlines um, A300, was it? Or was it a 330? Um, well, if it's a 300, that'd be a long, long time yeah, ago. It looks like That's a 330. Probably a 30, 330. Okay, 330 then. Um, documents seen uh, anyway, they had to divert because of a very strong smell. And at the time we had mentioned in the news articles that uh, they were saying it was uh, some sort of cleaning fluid that had spilled. Uh, the incident led to the diversion of a Heathrow to Philadelphia flight and a passenger being sent to the hospital. Uh, records show part of the aircraft had been leaking oil prior to the flight. It was a, an APU oil leak. One assertion made in an internal American airlines report on the incident 
on 21st October does stick out. It states that dish soap in a bottle caused two flight attendants to get medical attention and one passenger. That's not a very well-written sentence there. <laughs> I think what they mean to say is caused two flight attendants and a pa- and one passenger to uh, get medical attention. Anyway, dish, dish soap is the American term for washing up liquid. Hmm, I'm thinking that that's got to be an awfully strong washing up liquid to, to cause somebody to actually pass out and have to seek medical attention. Yeah, yeah. how come all the... Yeah, how come all the housewives and half-husbands aren't fainting every time they do the dishes? <laughs> I know. I, th- I, I think know, it might... stronger washing up liquid, clearly. Clearly. Mm. It's, it's not, yeah. Maybe this person had an allergic reaction. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, well, if you read the rest of the article, you'll see that uh, they strongly believe that this was linked to an APU oil leak. And even though they weren't operating the APU, there are um, manuals that say that even if the APU is not being used, it can still cap, uh, contaminate um, certain uh, ducting and, and uh, air systems, I guess because of its location. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not an uh, Airbus A330 pilot, so I don't know how where the uh, AP is situated and what is back there. I know it's in the back and the tail, but I don't know. If, if only we had one. What? No APU? An Airbus A330 pilot. Oh, no. I see. We don't, we don't anymore. Yeah, we don't. But no, at one time shame. we did, but uh, apparently he's dumped all that information. <laughs> I don't blame you either. Well, all I know is that it's the back end, and uh, of course it is quite capable of, uh, of uh, pressurizing uh, or aiding the pressurization of the aircraft, providing air conditioning. So it can duct air. In, but um, I'm not quite sure how you would get uh, contaminated air from the APU air inlet, and it continue to contaminate the air once w- without the APU operating. Um, no, it doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make sense to me either. Unless there's an awful lot of oil that's got coated the entire um, workings of the system, got deeper into the system, say in the main mixer chamber. Uh, where all the air goes before it's distributed. Uh, if it got that far, then yes, I guess it would. But you're so far from the APU, then it would take some effort to to get the oil there. So how many? Yeah, pint- oh, go ahead, Dana. I was going to ask where where are the packs on the airplane, Nick? Do you know if they're more? Towards yeah, they're the they're in the belly, uh, just you know, after the uh, you know under the wing fuselage yeah. area oh yeah it's a long way from the apu yeah that yeah, doesn't yeah, make absolutely huh. yeah i i mm, not sure what's going on here anyway it's still a mystery but as far as it being dish soap mm, no got it <laughs> definitely uh, uh we're giving that a secret ballot yeah oh, that's not it might have been, <laughs> been one of those flight tents putting on way too much perfume you ever have that happen <laughs> jeff yes yeah that could, almost makes me pass out <laughs> the two the two of us will be sitting in the flight deck next thing you know you smell the really strong perfume or cologne it's like oh my god you just turned put the whole entire bottle on you <laughs> my word uh you gotta smell good dana you gotta smell good uh, no, I, I never smell good, Jeff. <laughs> All right. Just ask my wife. Finally. And we're, yeah. Um, let's see. Here we go. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. 
family show. I need to start playing more of these things. I, I have a one of our listeners was complaining. <laughs> yeah, he was complaining he wasn't getting his money's worth uh, for the jingles that we used to play a lot. So hope I'm Is doing that better. The same listener who uh, wanted his money back earlier. In this yes, that's too? the same one. One in the same. Okay. Finally, uh, item E: Delhi man impersonates Lufthansa pilot to skip queue security check at Delhi airport. This from ndtv.com. I don't know what that stands for. <laughs> Some uh, New Delhi, I would imagine. New Delhi TV? Hey, I think that's a good guess. Uh, Rajan Mabobani was wearing the pilot's uniform when he was arrested from the departure gate of a Delhi airport on Monday. And he, let's see, he was impersonating a pilot of Lufthansa to uh, escape the long queues and security checking. Uh, 48-year-old uh, Rajan was wearing the pilot's uniform when he was arrested. Uh, okay, here we go again, journalists. Thank you very much for restating the same thing over and over and over. And yes, you're welcome for me reading it. He was handed over to the Delhi police for further probe. Ooh. Ooh, nasty. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Yeah, the, the CISF action came on the basis of information provided by the chief security officer of the German Airlines, which said that there is uh, a suspected passenger in the getup of a captain of Lutanza Airlines. The getup. Uh, the man who lives in Vasant Kunj area of the na national national capital. Let me try that again. The man who lives in an area <laughs> near the <laughs> national capital was in <laughs> was in a possession of a fake ID card of Lut of a Lutanza Airlines captain, and he used it to get privilege at airports. The passenger disclosed that he used to shoot used to shoot YouTube videos on aviation and had had obtained the Lufthansa fake ID card in Bangkok. Uh, it was revealed that he was fond of wearing uniforms of different professions. <laughs> Use your imagination. And getting himself snapped in different poses. I guess he fashioned himself uh, the, the character in Catch-22, um, mm. whose name I, yep. escapes me at this point. Walter Mitty. Oh, no, that's a different movie. Um, you, you catch me if you can. Yeah, but I'm just trying to think of what, what the guy's name was, the, the real life. I know, uh, Frank Abigail. Yeah, that's it. Frank Abbott. But that Ag was in Catch-22. Yeah. No, not Catch-22. That was in Catch-Me If You Can. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see. In his phone, there are pictures of him posing as an army colonel. He had short videos of, of himself wearing different uniforms on TikTok, the social media app for recording and sharing short clips, police said. Um, anyway, he's in big trouble. That's, that's pretty serious actually when you're, when you're, you know, forging documents to gain access to areas that are restricted to, uh, mere average humans. <laughs> in other words, people that aren't airline crew members and such. So, yeah, uh, they should have just looked for his halo because of course us sky gods all have halos. I know. Oh, yes. Yeah. Should have been able to spot that, you know, from a mile yeah. away. Yes, or exactly. the lack of it. Um, Halos are a little horns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. Anyway, my horns are very big. Hmm. All right. That's what she said. There we go. Okay, that's it. Family thankfully, show, thankfully, that is that is the end of our news. I told you there wasn't really much in there, and, uh, and that's a good thing actually, because 
that means there haven't been a bunch of incidents and crashes and such. So. Hey, what's everybody been up to since the last episode? Let's start with Steph so that uh, she can get to bed. Yeah, we can start with me. Um, <laughs> or do you want to save the best for last? It's a, uh, yeah, let's do that. I'll listen to what everyone else has. To okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dana, how have you Hi. done, sir? I know it hasn't uh, been long since the last episode. so It hasn't been that long, no. And uh, honestly... Uh, I'm out back flying on my first trip since uh, the last episode, and so far, uh, completely uneventful flying. Uh, good weather. A um, little windy coming in here to Louisville today, almost a 60-degree uh, crosswind. Uh, that's the most challenging I've seen in a bit with the, I think it was a 11 gusting 19. Yeah, that's what it was. So um, other than that, um, status quo. Can't uh, if you don't have you know my mother always taught me if you don't have something good to say don't say it at all so I'm not going to say it. Okay, it's been pretty it's been pretty boring. Let's sometimes boring is good especially in our profession. All right, uh, Nick, yourself, sir, have you been busy doing things? I have, sir. I uh, yesterday I was uh, with the lovely Rob Simmons at uh, St Benedict's School talking to his uh, aviation group there fine bunch of uh, keen youngsters raging uh, raging <laughs> ranging from uh, ages of i don't know uh, 8 until about uh, early teens so uh, that was uh, really very nice uh, very smart kids knew a lot about uh, aviation real av geeks even at that age and i hoped destined to uh, uh, you know have great careers uh, in the industry if they carry on the way they're going fine bunch of uh, kids and of course it was great to see uh, Rob again. He's a lovely bloke. And, uh, uh, my regards to you, sir, and thank you very much indeed for the donation to the whiskey barrel. Much appreciated. Hey, you know what, Rob? If you're listening, and I'm sure you are, um, I lost those clips of your wonderful children um, shouting, "We love you, Captain Jeff." Oh I yeah, can't... they didn't say that anymore. They, in fact, they were they forgotten about you completely. Well, I think they must have. Probably cussing <laughs> them out. And they somehow got into my Evernote um, application and deleted the files. No, I, 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 I might have those somewhere. Okay. But, uh, I'll look for them. I was really, I mean, I spent a lot of time between this show and last show trying to find those darn things. They're probably there somewhere. I just put, gave them a different name or something. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and uh, so I'm glad that you had a nice visit to St. Benedict's and with uh, Rob. Um, anything else? Uh, no, nothing really. It hasn't been that long since the last show. Yeah, it really has not. Um, Dana, you know what I just remembered? Um, so he asked me on the last show, and I apologize for this, uh, oh, if, yes. if I'd played the Oklahoma City meetup audio, and I said yes. And then when I was editing the show and listening to that exchange again, and I thought to myself, well, I think I did. I mean, I answered very quickly and affirmatively that we had played it, and then I thought, and well, I, I said, yes, sir. Then I went back and listened to the, the previous show and then the show before that because you had skipped two. And I did not hear it on either of those. So I thought, oops, sorry, Dana. I owe you an apology. I did not play that Oklahoma City meetup. Well, so Jeff, I, it's, I not it. you me, it's not that you owe me an apology. It's the folks in Oklahoma City that yes. came out to see me. That is, yeah. That's true. That is more important. Uh, the fact Absolutely that, uh, correct. They didn't get their, their chance to shine in the APG, whatever you call this, 
So I'm going to play it now. What do you think? Sounds fantastic. Okay, here we go. Well, hello, APG community. This is Captain Dana reporting live from Backdoor Barbecue in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We're having a little meetup here, having a great night with some uh, APG listeners and fans. So I wanted to go ahead and uh, put in a little feedback this evening. I've got Alex and his lovely bride, Jane, with me, and I've got Chris and I've got Corey. And they're all going to say hello and say something here in just a moment. But I just want to take an opportunity to thank each and every one of them for coming out today. And uh, really just been a great evening of uh, barbecue. I didn't uh, partake in any beer, but uh, they did have a couple beers. Uh, but it's been a fantastic evening of, of cutting up, talking, aviation, and uh, spend some time with some really good folks. So the, without ado, I'm going to go ahead and hand over the phone to Alex so he can go ahead and, and say hello to everybody. Well, hello, this is Alex. Um, looking at my wife right now. She said she does not want to be uh, a part of this uh, recording, so I will talk on her behalf for our family. But uh, very happy to get, uh, get to meet one of the APG crew and uh, hoping that uh, I get to meet more in the near future. Possibly uh, the next OKC Marathon, we'll get uh, Dr. Steph out here, uh, get her some IPA and some running in. That would probably do the trick. But uh, with that, I will pass it on. Thank you. This is Chris here, uh, fairly new listener to the show. I've been listening for about two or three months now. Started listening to a few of the older episodes as I as I you know work and stuff, and uh, been uh, former uh, well new avionics technician I guess uh, for about twelve years now. And uh, so I kind of started just got listening to the show, and it was great to meet uh, Captain Dana here. And uh, I'll pass it along to uh, Corey here. Hello, APG community. This is Corey Huffer. It is a pleasure to finally make the big time after listening to so many episodes. Uh, I'm a local real estate professional here, so please send me all of your business. And I look forward to future meetups, and hopefully we can get the rest of the APG crew out here. Thanks again, Dana. Well, anyways, uh, thank you guys for coming out tonight. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a, a fantastic evening talking aviation, talking about how awesome our community is, and uh, just uh, really uh, very nice people. The other thing is, is you need to pay attention to those social meds because that's how everybody found out about this meetup tonight. I put it out there on Twitter. So, anyways, uh, keep pay attention to our uh, twitter feed and uh, our calendars and you guys can come meet up with us as well so anyways in the meantime i'm going to send back to the studio jeff take it away thank you dana and uh, again apologies that we didn't do that uh, sooner but uh we got it done so excellent and that, that was that was an amazing evening um uh the the food was good, and the, the company was even better, and it was so great to see people. As a matter of fact, I got a couple messages for uh, my overnight in Syracuse uh, night after, yeah, tomorrow night, actually, actually, and um, unfortunately, I have some personal plans in Syracuse, so I apologize to those folks, but uh, that's the way you're going to find us is look at our uh, schedules, look at uh, look at the uh, social medias. I tend to, you know, at least tweet out uh, if I'm going to be someplace and available. I knew I was going to be here in Louisville recording, so I didn't uh, send anything out, but other than that, uh, it's nice to see people out on the road. Yeah, we'll talk about the social meds at the end of the show, how you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Slack, and uh, look at our uh, calendar, APG Community Calendar. All right. 
Anything else, Dana? No, I'm just uh, sitting here while you guys are talking and just going through this. Uh, uh, we didn't we talked about it a little bit on air earlier, but uh, the uh, another uh, a another uh, award came out for uh, movement within the company and kind of checking out all the fun stuff here. No displacement, so I'm excited about that. I get to see on the 88 for another uh, well, at least for another six months probably. Excellent. So happy about that. Well, that's good. Uh, let's see, let me, this is going to be kind of a combination Jeff and Steph, um, uh, update, uh, since the last show. Should I, should I mention this, uh, Steph? And then we can kind oh, of yeah, read, sure. lead right on into where you are and what you're doing there. Um, so, uh, I got a text from, uh, or a message from, I think Steph, um, a few days before the trip that I'm on now saying that, hey, uh, I'm going to be going through Atlanta on the way to Chicago and then ultimately Berlin. And it uh, looks like, you know, it's going to be uh, good timing for me to meet up with you and have a cup of coffee or whatever. And I thought, that's great. And she said that Mike Carroll's dispatcher Mike uh, is also going to be there as well. And then, of course, it turns out that uh, we let um, Stephen, Ivy, uh, First Officer Stephen, know that uh, we were going to be there as well. And it worked out perfectly for him as well. He was just starting a trip that morning. So we met in the B concourse in the Atlanta airport at the blue moon brew house. And yeah. And, uh, uh, Mike and, uh, he's on vacation and Steph, uh, also on vacation. were enjoying their, uh, tall blue moon beers. I think that's what you were drinking. I don't know what you were drinking actually. We were drinking uh, hop executioner. Actually. Oh, that's even better. Terrapin brewery. Yeah, yes. and I uh, I had to pass since I was just about to go fly to Pensacola, and so I I stuck with my coffee, and uh, and then I think Stephen was even more bland. He just had water. Yeah, that very day. disciplined, Stephen. We're yeah. very impressed. <laughs> so uh, had a nice little quick visit uh, before I had to head off to my gate, and I said. Somebody asked what gate I was going to, and I said, uh, I'm going to B6. And I looked over at Steph, and I said, uh, what gate uh, is your uh, Chicago flight? And she says, B6. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> so that's, that's funny. It's a weird question. <laughs> and so I started walking toward my gate, and I'm noticing that Steph and Mike are following me, and I'm going, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and then finally Steph says, I'm going with you down to Pensacola and then back. And I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? What? Why? What? What's going and on? Why here? would you do this? <laughs> so explain yourself. Sure. Well, let's back up a little bit and just okay. say that before Captain Nick retired, I did make more than one valiant attempt to ride on one of his flights, um, unbeknownst to him, but never actually got it to work out before he ultimately retired. So um, I know you have plenty of time left still flying, Jeff, but I was not going to let a chance slip by. So. It just worked out yesterday, and I said, hey, that'll be fun. It's a nice little down and back to Pensacola, short flight. Uh, it just was nice that it worked out. It was a, a nice day, so not too much to worry about in terms of hopefully, you know, weather uh, getting in the way of connections oh, and things yeah. like that. So Beautiful weather. Um, I, did have, I did have backup plans for that just in case. Cause I really did not want to miss my flight to uh, Europe out of Chicago. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was spoiled. That would be a big spoilage. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I mean, you're always kind of taking a little bit of a chance, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, Jeff was like giving Mike and I this bizarre look, like, 
but <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that. Hopefully oh yeah, not. we can we can hear it. <laughs> Is that uh, somebody you, in your room or a neighbor or what? Yeah, no, we have. Um, I guess this on the second floor, sharing an apartment. Uh, oh, okay. Space. And, like one of my brothers was a little um, had a little difficulty with the door over there. Ah, okay. Got it. Got it figured out. So we're good. <laughs> um, back up there, yeah. What was I saying? Um, yeah, it just it turned out to be a really nice day, and, and Jeff was definitely giving Mike and I this really confused look at first, like we're doing what. And um, Mike and I had talked, just after Mike and I had talked about it beforehand, and he was actually going to try and jump on the flight too, but he had some parental duties that ultimately um, did not allow for that to happen. So, so that would have been kind of fun too to just kind of chat and hang out with Mike for a little while. So sorry we weren't able to do that. Um, yeah, nice, nice ride down, and I can confirm that um, Captain Jeff makes very nice uh, PAs to passengers and does uh, greet all the passengers at the doors. And um, nice landing by Jeff and his first officer. Yeah, my first uh, officer flew it flew the leg back from Pensacola, and it was a nice crosswind, uh, not a gusty crosswind. But he, it, I, w- I told him I wish that I had a video going of how he flew that approach and landing because he rolled it on. I mean, it just, you know, it made me look really, really bad. Nice. <laughs> it was very nice. Yeah. I even said so. I went, ooh, wow, that's that's nice. And uh, so Kurt did a great job of uh, landing the jet in Atlanta. Um, but it was a beautiful day, uh, not a bump. Uh, the uh, the air was super, super smooth. And uh, when uh, now the PA, I think I'm finally understanding that the reason why you might have been confused about what I was saying about um I didn't say that you were critical for me making a landing. I was saying that I hope that I make a good landing. I, I said this on the PA going down because I have a very, very good friend riding along and she is a very critical person <laughs> and she is going to let me know how I did with my landing, whether it was good or bad. And so I'm hoping that I have a really nice landing in Pensacola. So that's what I was trying to convey to people. I guess it was kind of hard to hear what I was saying. Um, so it was kind of quiet from where I was. So I couldn't hear it too, yeah. too well, but the flight attendant heard it and then she was making comments about, what is he talking about? You're critical to this landing? And I said, uh, yeah, see, they I don't, don't really, uh, I hope not. They don't normally <laughs> listen to anything we're saying, actually. Right, Dana? Oh, they, were, they were listening. <laughs> they never listen to anything. Uh, no. So on, I'm surprised man. they even heard me say critical. I'm really impressed, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised they knew that we were even talking. <laughs> so, yeah, it's usually really? like, uh, was that initial? No, that was not initial. Um, it, actually, in this case, it was. But when we mm-hmm. uh, were leaving Pensacola back for Atlanta, we had a wheels up uh, time. Uh, uh, expect to take off a departure. What is it? ED, ED whatever. Mm-hmm. Expect departure release time, whatever. Um, yeah. Of, uh, of us. Edict, yeah. And so we kind of pushed back and we just kind of sat in position for, for a bit, uh, to, uh, save some fuel. And, uh, I made a, a, a PA regarding, and I knew that, uh, Steph would appreciate the fact that I was mentioning that we were doing our, what we could at Acme airlines to lower our carbon footprint by waiting to start our engines. And, uh, and I also Therefore, said, we were. Uh, now, I was very tempted to play this on the PA, but I didn't. But I did say that we were doing our part to go green. I said something about going green. I did notice that, and I did get a good laugh out of that. 
Yeah. And the guy next to me on that flight, I think, thought I was a little uh, insane. <laughs> you there was are. Something else too that made me. I know I'm insane, but he didn't have to know that. Yeah. So gave it away. Anyway, so that was great. So, uh, yeah, Steph rode down and back uh, with me, and uh, then we finally parted ways. She did not go with me to Greensboro. Uh, she instead no, went up not. to Chicago, and now you can take over uh, yes. the rest of what you're doing. Yeah, so I went up to Chicago, uh, met up with my brother who had landed, um, what did you guys get there, like an hour before me, hour and a half before me, something like that. Um, met them over in Terminal 5, which is the international terminal, and... Um, Sat down. They were having a beverage at um, a restaurant, and they had had to get there early, kind of get checked in. To um, one of my brothers was on a separate reservation, so he didn't have a boarding pass or seat assignment or anything yet. And he goes, "You know, they mentioned there's uh, there was some, some upgrades available." I was like, "Oh yeah, uh, we should we should find out about that." So uh, went and had a talk with uh, the fine folks over at the British Airways uh, in the lounge. And found out that yes, indeed, there were upgrades available, and there were a whole bunch of them, and they were not very expensive at all. So it was well worth it to get a nice uh, live flat bed for the trip from Chicago over to Heathrow to get a little bit better sleep. Um, although now I'm quite tired, but <laughs> been going for quite a while at this point anyway. Uh, that was fun. So we had a nice uh, upper deck 747 ride on the way over. Um, I was really surprised they had three seats all together up there. Not must not have been a very full flight. I'm not sure. And um, yeah, uneventful flight from Chicago to Heathrow. Had a nice dinner and then immediately passed out. Um, it was definitely uh, not a smooth ride over. It was bumpy in places. Bumpy enough to actually wake me up uh, from sleep. Um, got my attention. I was worried that I had kind of a half full glass of water still, like where I had it sitting next to me. So checking on that a little bit, drinking more of it. Um, Got to Heathrow just around 7 a.m. or so this morning, and then had to, we had about an hour and a half wait for our next flight over to Berlin, so time to get some breakfast. Um, did not go for the full English breakfast this morning, but I believe Joe had the, or one of my brothers had the, uh, had just kind of a simple English breakfast. Um, some of the baked beans and tomato and, and uh, bacon and that type of stuff. Mm. I actually opted for the breakfast quesadilla, which was really good. And um, yeah, it was nice. Another uneventful flight over to Berlin. Got here about midday, and we are staying at the Circus Hotel in uh, uh, in Berlin, which is uh, one of our show listeners, private pilot Tillman, is one of the uh, owners of this fine establishment. And so we got here, got checked in, had a meet up with Tillman just for a little bit. Uh, over a coffee and a beer and just catch up. And uh, my thanks to him, as always, for uh, being a gracious host and uh, spending some time just chatting to us earlier. And then kind of parted ways, had some dinner, and now here I am chatting to you all. And it is getting quite late, and I am quite tired at this point. <laughs> We've noticed you uh, with your eyes closed and <laughs> drifting off uh, here and there on, yes. uh, so far on the show. Yes. So um, you definitely have our permission to go ahead and leave us at any point and uh, try to get caught up on your sleep if you can. Yeah, I'm probably going to do that here very soon. It is now 10 p.m. and I know Nick regularly stays much later than this, but considering I did sleep for about eh, probably for about five hours on the plate over last night. Um, that's about all the sleep I've had in the past 48 hours. So 
getting a little, a little tricky, a little tough. Well, I hope that you guys have a great time in Berlin. I'm sure you will. Say hello yeah. to Tillman for us. Will and you? tell him to save some of that beer for me. Um, maybe one of these days I'll make it over there and uh, be able to drink some of that good yes, stuff. Yes, they have, they have plenty. They brew their own. Yeah, over that's good. So, okay. Yeah, good stuff. Great. So we're so happy that you were able to join us uh, all the way from Berlin, Steph. May I just yeah, point out? Steph, yeah. that you look a lot better in Captain Jeff's hat than Captain De Jeff does. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Actually, Thank you. I, I agree. <laughs> she has a couple. A uh, she, yeah, she has a couple photos of herself with uh, wearing my hat. It's usually covering like you can't even see her eyes and nose. Yeah, usually, it's like <laughs> down here. Like, yeah. yeah, Steph, you should try my hat on because it, it's slightly bigger than Jeff's. I think. Uh, I think we just uh, determined uh -huh. that we wear the same hat size, like seven three eights or something like that. Um, I don't know, maybe not. That's that's excellent. I wouldn't be surprised though I, that your your hat size would be larger. That's what she said. I'm seven and five eighths. Ah, there you go. Well, they say that extra quarter inch makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, not sure really what that means, but um, I guess we do need to uh, play this as well. Uh, Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Family show. Okay. Um, I think. Well, with that, I think I am going to bow out and get some sleep so that we can enjoy the rest of our short time here. Got a couple more days back on Monday. Um, yeah. And hopefully the audio and video for me was not too, too bad. No, it's, it was worth it. I mean, it's, it's not perfect, but uh, just having you here is worth it. And uh, I'll uh, definitely include some photos of our little... Uh, meet up in the Atlanta airport and the photo with you wearing my hat uh, in the show notes so people can take a look at that. Thank you. That was fun. All Enjoyed right. it. All right, y'all. Have a good rest of the show. Guys, Thanks. Can't stick around, but have, fun fun have a great Bye. time. Bye. Over there. Berlin. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So let's move on quickly. By the way, uh, this show is brought to you by... Oh, wait a minute. We don't have any advertisers. We have people like you, fine listeners, that uh, help us and support us financially. And you do that by contributing to the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea. And the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Potable. Yes, coffee is potable. And that's the Jeff Smith uh, singing the Java Jive as we mention our fine Coffee Fund cadre members. And let's see, we have a couple different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic method. And we have recurring payments or contributions from Terry Liu, Chris Randall, and David Lieb. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have a new executive producer. And his name is Tom Catalino. And he's up there in the Syracuse area, actually. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. I've met up with Tom a couple of times. And uh, he has joined the Coffee Bar 
club or the coffee fund cadre or whatever you want to call it. So thank you very much, uh, guys and gals, for becoming part of our coffee fund people. And if you want to join them, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Message. Now let's start, start off with this first item in our feedback folder from JD. Uh, hey, APG crew, sadly I can't tune into episode 399 live as I will be in the air somewhere between Raleigh and Chicago. I just finished listening to episode 398 and the discussion of mistakes and funny radio talk reminded me of something I saw a while back. Not sure if you've covered this yet, but I figured I'd send it your way just in case. And so he sent us a link to this article from aviationhumor.net. While taxiing out in sequence behind a Lufthansa airliner at Frankfurt, a C-130 crew noticed an orange remove-before-flight streamer, you know, those red uh, streamers that you kind of see sometimes, hanging out of the Lufthansa nose wheel well. Their nose gear locking pin was still installed. Not wanting to cause too much embarrassment by going through the controller, the C-130 crew simply called the Lufthansa aircraft on the tower frequency. Lufthansa aircraft, Herky 23 They repeated the transmission again and there was no reply. Instead, the Lufthansa pilot called the tower and asked the tower to tell the Herky crew that, quote, the professional pilots of Lufthansa do not engage in unprofessional conversations over the radio. The C-130 pilot quickly replied, Frankfurt Tower, can you please relay to the professional pilots of the Lufthansa aircraft that their nose gear pin is still installed? <laughs> Rimshot. <laughs> I read that. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> we don't know if it's actually true, but it's a good story. Uh, so Absolutely. If any of you yeah. out there have some uh, funny stories or funny radio calls or whatever, uh, feel free to send them in because we need all the help we can get to make this a, a funny show. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Depends what kind of funny you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, well, we're funny looking, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I, def- funny, funny I definitely, I definitely that bill. <laughs> and this show has just been, hmm, it's a doozy. I guess you know yeah, it's kind it, of a, a letdown after 400. <laughs> well, we're building you know. up to 500, yes. so they can only get better from here. We're doing this on purpose. Yep. <laughs> it's very difficult for us to do this kind of bad show, but. We're, we, if there's a reason for it, I must do, I must do a bad show every once in a while. We can't yeah. be perfect all the time. You know? uh, that, so true. So true. Okay. It's true. True. It's true. <laughs> uh, the second item two, Texas and Lashock. Uh, greetings, Captain Nick and everyone else. Ooh, he has a favorite apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with regards to your comment about Firefly, I have one thing to say. Quote. I'm a leaf on the wind. Watch how I soar. I have no idea That's what that great. means because I'm not a fan of Firefly, I guess. Well, you actually, it's a quote from the movie Serenity. Serenity now! Ah. Which is all part of the same thing. He's uh, guiding this spaceship down for a crash landing. And this is his quote as he's trying to <laughs> not, not crash. Did you ever, did you <laughs> ever have funny. a quote in mind, like just stored up in case one of these days you were crashing out of the sky nick and you wanted to say something really cool and and profound 
Yeah, yeah. The, my my quote that I wanted to bring out, which was uh, an old Air Force, a famous Air Force one, was, uh, "Tao, will you please ask the mess to cancel two late lunches?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I I want to say something. Well, I, actually, this is a, a friend of mine that used to do this all the time. Uh, he, he, when they were maybe about 100 feet, 200 feet off the ground, he would say, I don't know. I don't think this looks good. Or, I don't know. This <laughs> yeah. doesn't look right. You know, and, and it, I look at him and I said, what, what are you saying then? He said, well, you never hear that on the... Uh, on the voice recorders, uh, right. You know, for these crashes, he just wants to have one to say, yeah, I just don't think this looks right. Went, okay. Interesting. Oh, very good. Yes. No, okay. shut up. <laughs> uh, do you think you could fly the old tub as well as wash? I guess, again, another reference to serenity. Well, yes. Firefly was the, uh, the type of spaceship they flew and, uh, wash did fly very well. He was a grand pilot. Uh, one strange thing I noticed was that the two control columns, which looked very Boeing to me, um, weren't actually connected. So, uh, you know, one pilot could do okay. <laughs> something completely different with his <laughs> compared with the one next door, which I always thought was a bit, that odd, is a bit but, odd. Uh, now it was a great series. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad we found someone else who uh, is a fan of it. Huh. That's uh, that's strange. Okay. Um, so let me continue with uh, his feedback. And now for some local news. The New Orleans airport has finally, well, I thought he was from Texas, but he's now saying he's local news, so he must be in the New Orleans air, uh, area. The New Orleans airport has finally, surprisingly, opened their new terminal. They actually got it by the end of the year this time. When I first got here two and a half years ago, it was supposed to be opened in the fall. So they're only two years late, which is better than I expected. <laughs> yeah, New Orleans, they kind of take things at their own pace. Um, it's almost like Allentown. Exactly. Uh, I took the opportunity to, dr to drive up to it to check out the new layout, and it is vastly superior to the old one. The old terminal over on the south side of the field was crammed up against Airline Drive and had a convoluted parallel road system with only one way in from the main road that required turning into it, then doing a complete 180 before you could get to the terminal parking, etc. Sometimes it was almost easier to go all the way up to Veterans Boulevard, which borders the north side of the airport, than take airport access road back down and right up to the terminal. That road also has the bonus of running almost parallel to runway 2-20, so sometimes uh, you find yourself racing a plane on its takeoff roll. Uh, let's see, the new entrance utilizes quite a bit of space, more than I realized that they had there. The roads leading in are laid out better and far less claustrophobic, leading arrivals and departures to separate locations rather than just stacking them on top of each other, and giving the ride-sharing services their own specialized curb rather than just stuffing them in a vacant parking garage. Overall, I find it to be a significant improvement, at least on the outside. I will be flying uh, home to Midland, Texas, which is one of the reasons why I don't fly Acme as often as I'd like. Yeah, I don't think, I guess we don't fly to Midland. Uh, he's flying there for Thanksgiving, at which point I'll give my impression of the terminal as a whole, unless one of you has a trip taking you there and you wind up seeing the place before I do. Regardless, I'm excited to check it out. Until then, this is the Texas and La, Texas and La Shock signing off. Did I hear that right? He thinks the terminals are whole. Are, are hold? 
<laughs> Hold? What? A hole. He, he thinks the terminal's a hole. Oh, as a hole. <laughs> yeah, I guess he does. Um, oh. I guess the old terminal um, is, is more of a hole than the uh, new one. <laughs> the new one. <laughs> yes. The old one's definitely a hole. Yeah, and I, I probably didn't pronounce the W very well. Uh, W-H-O-L-E. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, not an H-O-L-E. <laughs> I think we'll forgive okay, you thanks. that. Uh, I, I tr- I'll try to be better about uh, my, my, my diction. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he's right. The, uh, the old um, uh, New Orleans terminal. I guess, what are they doing with the old terminal? Are they shutting it down and tearing it down or what? I don't know. I thought, that would be my guess. It's, yeah. it's, it's so old it needs to come yeah, down. That's true. I don't know what else you do with it. Um, could it could it be offices or is it a bit uh, a bit too ratty for that? Probably a bit too ratty for that. Um, although they've made you know improvements, at least uh, Acme has to the uh, wing that they've been using. But it's 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 still old. You can only do so much and put so much money into it, uh, you know, and to make it as good as you, as you can. True. Um, well, it's it's true. true. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's been a long time since I've had a New Orleans. Uh, a flight down to New Orleans. I guess they're using different airplanes or something. I don't know. Dana, have you been down there at all? Not at all. I think it's just they they're sat in a you know withdraw us out of a lot of places because yeah. the flying that we can do now. So true. I haven't seen I haven't seen it in a while. All right. I did see it. I did see one uh, in December though. Oh. So New Orleans. Well, maybe we'll be down there. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, item three, Thomas. Dear APG crew, I have only recently discovered your podcast. I know, shame on me. Yes, shame on me. And I'm currently working my way through your extensive back catalog. Ooh, that's going to take a mm. while. A bit about me. I am 36, year old, 36 years old and live in Scotland and always dreamed of being an airline pilot since boyhood. I attended the BA selection process, or as I guess you guys would say, process, for their now defunct cadet program. On 18th September 2001, hmm, what else happened around that time frame? Hmm, I'm trying to remember. I wonder. Yeah. However, due to the, oh, here we go, uh, awful events of 9-11, the scheme was canceled never to return in that form. I then considered the RAF because I figured if people like uh, Nick can make it in, anybody can. No, he didn't put <laughs> yeah. that. I added that. Uh, I then considered the RAF and attended the career center, however, was scared off at the thought of military life. (laughs) I subsequently had a couple of flying lessons, but was unable to continue due to being a poor student at the time. Fast forward to now, one marriage, two children, and a 10-plus year career in the emergency services after, and I am keener than ever to fly. Given my age and having astigmatisms in both eyes, I realize my airline pilot aspirations are all but over. However, I still wish to fly for fun and to earn my wings. I'm torn between microlights, which uh, he puts in parentheses, light sport aircraft, and gliders. I would be keen to hear your thoughts and of what, if any, experience you have may uh, you have in flying in them. You may have in flying with them. Let me try that again. I'm torn between microlights, light sport aircraft, and gliders. I would be keen to hear your thoughts and of what, if any, experience you may have in flying them. Many thanks, and keep up the good work in producing an amazing show for all of us aviation geeks. Regards, Thomas. And this was sent from his iPad. Um, 
Thanks, yeah, thanks for letting us know. Appreciate it, Thomas. Uh, so what do you think, guys? Uh, what would the what would your advice be for him to, to do the glider thing or the micro lights? Well, you know, my, my thought on that would be whichever one you prefer. I mean, try them both out and see which one is your preferred way of flying. The, you know, a little different, obviously, between the two. Micro lights uh, a little bit uh, lighter than a, a glider, but it has power. Um, whereas a glider does not have power. You tow it up to altitude, and you, and of course, Nick is is a glider pilot or was a glider pilot, and um, maybe just not a current glider pilot. Correct, Nick? You correct. Just, yeah, that's correct. So, um, but you know, my, my my question I want to ask you, Thomas, is you say you've given up on the commercial route completely. Um, you don't tell us how old you are, um, so I don't know that you yeah. actually. At the beginning, he's 36. Oh, is it? I, I must. Uh, yeah, I am 36. I am so sorry. I missed that. Um, I, I, I can't say that that's, I don't know about over in Europe, but over here in the United States, certainly that would not be too old, too old. So, um, but you know, go, go down the path that you, you feel that you want to go and, and certainly take a, take a, a discovery flight in each one of them and see which one you like better. That would be my advice. Yeah, I'm in agreement uh, with Dana in that uh, I don't think your astigmatisms will necessarily uh, prohibit you getting a, a class one medical um, as long as they can be corrected um, so that you get uh, good eyesight uh, with glasses or whatever. Well, Nick, um, and, and, and to pick up on that and not to interrupt you, but I actually have astigmatism on both I eyes, do too. And I don't oh, wear glasses. I uh, so. Well, there you go. I've got one, but I guess it depends on how severe right. it is. Exactly. So, yeah. So you know, you'd obviously have to have that checked out by a dog. But uh, uh, if you've decided you want to dabble in uh, in uh, paid flying and go and do some of that stuff, um, gliding is great in that it's a pure, very pure flying um, skill. And I think it's... Uh, it's a marvelous way to get involved in a flying community because you do tend to spend all day at your gliding club, pardon me, helping out, uh, doing all the duties you need and uh, burping a lot. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, and you get a couple of flights during the day when your name comes up in the roster, but you don't do a heap of flying. And uh, if there's not a lot of thermals or uh, uh, activity, uh, then your flights can be quite short. Uh, and it's not inexpensive. Um, micro lights, of course, light sport aircraft are being improved all the time, and they're actually very sophisticated for their size and weight and uh, very flexible. And you can go places in them, which is not nearly so easy in a glider because you tend to do a lot of local flying and only head out across country for competitions and the like. And then, then there's uh, usually quite a likelihood that you'll fly a course and come back to where you started or you'll land out in the countryside and need rescuing. So if uh, you want to go and visit friends or uh, tootle around and go exactly where you want to go, then I think a microlight is probably the way to go. And I suspect if you've got a share in one, it would not be prohibitively expensive. And I think it would be marvelous fun as well. Yeah, I think that uh, that's probably what I would say as well. The especially the the aspect that you mentioned about going someplace to travel to meet up with other people. You may not be able to take your whole family uh, for sure uh, because you know uh, that'll be four of you, and I don't think any micro lights have are four place because they have certain weight restrictions. Uh, I think they're most of them are either single or two place airplanes. Right? Isn't that right about the micro lights? Yeah. yeah I think I think it's, 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 
I don't know what the kilograms is, but I know I think it's somewhere around eight hundred. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or a thousand pounds. Yeah. It's it's pretty light. Yeah, very uh they're very restricted in that in that way. Uh but uh you know, if you're if you're on your own or just with um another person who is relatively light, <laughs> you can go places and see people and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh with the uh with the micro light. So I, I would tend to kind of lean in that direction myself, I believe. So Anyway, let us know what you decide. I do think that's good advice from Dana. Do both uh, and, and you know, see which one is you know, more attractive to you and then go for it. And I have to make sure that we're above 50%. Yeah. Uh, the United States definition of an ultralight, I don't, I, don't, I don't see where it says microlight, but maybe they Yeah, I think that's the term they use over in uh, Britain. Probably in Britain, weighs less than 254 pounds or 115 kilograms. Empty weight. Oh, empty weight. And then max yeah. uh, loaded weight is <clears throat> probably. Um, I'm looking. I don't see it here yet. But it says uh, maximum fuel capacity of five gallons. Oh, wait a minute. Now, no, you're, you're, what are you looking up the stats for? Um, an ultralight? An, an, that's an okay, ultralight. Okay, no, uh, I think yeah. a microlight would be um, more, equate more to a light sport aircraft. So look up light, light sport. sport. All right, so yeah. let's look at light sport. And in the UK, it needs to be less than half a ton, less than 500 kilograms. Okay. Like so that's aircraft. what uh, twelve hundred pounds. Yeah, I think that ish. that's a number that sounds familiar to me. About twelve hundred pounds, something like that. Yep, thirteen thirteen hundred twenty okay. pounds, six hundred kilograms, and uh, max stall speed of forty five knots. Seat max seats two. Okay. Um and uh, one motor. Uh, cabin unpressurized. I would hope so. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a pressurized so, yeah, light sport aircraft. That's a light sport yeah. aircraft. So, you know, when I typed in micro, micro light, that's, you know, ultralight yeah. came up. So then light sport aircraft is. Yeah. I think they're kind of more, more even. Okay. Well, as I said, uh, Thomas, please let us know what you, uh, what you do. And, uh, because I think every, everybody could benefit from it and, you know, the pluses and minuses and how you came to that decision. All right. Uh, item four, uh, near in Israel writes, Again, hello, Nick and crew. <laughs> this is yeah. this is the Nick show. Uh, this is Nir from Israel, possibly your only listener from Israel, or one of a very few. As I'm sure you're aware, Virgin has recently started flying to Tel Aviv, Israel. In uh, APG 398, you cover in extreme detail the MiG-007 story. You're also correct that this aircraft resides at the IAF Museum in Hazarim or Hazarim? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Do you know, Nick? Oh, it sounds about right. Okay, Hazrim. Hazrim. Which, whichever one you choose. Oh. Hazrim. Okay. Well, yeah, you're you're the person uh, of of Jewish faith, <laughs> so you would probably know how to pronounce that. I would say Hazrim. Okay, that's probably wrong. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he'll let us know. Uh, so when all of these holes line up just right, I invite you to come over to Israel to close this episode's plane tales and add a couple of pictures of you with this aircraft. Maybe we can offer the museum to use your tail. Just a thought. Well, I think he means the plane tail, right? Yes. Okay, good. I don't actually have a tail. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, I've uh, got horns, apparently, so perhaps <laughs> I have a tail to go with the horns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we don't really want to reveal too much, but we have seen him naked, and he does indeed have a tail. 
Uh, just a thought. <laughs> you have an open invite, and I promise to take you around. Again, that's from uh, Nir in, uh, uh, in Israel. And that's ever so kind. I have, of course, uh, replied privately uh, to Nir to thank him very much for that uh, kind invitation. And it's a fascinating country, I'm sure. Never been there, uh, and perhaps it's one I ought to take off. And certainly if I do go... I'll uh, look near up and uh, take a look around that museum. I reckon it'd be brilliant. Now, isn't Tel Aviv uh, like on the coast of the Mediterranean? Yeah, it's supposed to be quite nice. I've heard it's a beautiful city. I've seen Mm. some uh, beautiful videos uh, of it. Not been there myself either, but uh, maybe we need to do that sometime. APG meetup. There you go. There you go. Okay. Uh, Item five, dispatch Greg in Chicago. Uh, he uh, sent us a couple of different uh, pieces of feedback, and we'll start with the older one that he sent. He said, it's been a while since I left some feedback. By the way, it was a pleasure meeting all of you in Oshkosh. Next year, let's do it again. I'm not sure we're going to make it back this uh, next year. We'll see. Uh, the DOT is looking to change the tarmac delay policy. Uh, offers a little bit more flexibility for the airlines. And then he sent us a link to this article. Um and let's see, DOT proposes changes to extended tarmac delay regulation by Ben Goldstein. Uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation has promised or proposed changes to its regulation governing extended tarmac delays for departing aircraft with the intention of reducing the number of tarmac delays that are subject to enforcement while still maintaining important customer protections. The proposed changes outlined in a notice, notice of proposed rulemaking, an NPRM, would not apply to arriving aircraft, but would affect foreign carriers at U.S. airports. Since 2016, the FAA has defined an extended tarmac delay as lasting more than three hours for domestic flights and four hours for international flights. The notice of uh, proposed rulemaking formalizes the department's existing approach to enforcement with the goal of providing carriers some relief in situations when they may be unable to reduce the length of a tarmac delay for circumstances beyond their control according to the DOT. And uh, let's see, the uh, proposed change, the tarmac delay clock will stop as soon as carriers begin to return the aircraft to a suitable disembarkation point uh, with the purpose of deplaning passengers, whereas existing rules only stop the clock once the carriers have actually reached that point. So that, you know, that is some relief there. Um, there's more to this article, so uh, if you want to read the entire thing, please check it out in the show notes. Uh, dispatch Greg uh, continued and says um, have either you uh, captains Jeff Dana um, with ACME been in a situation in which you came close to exceeding the current rules how did you handle it I have not Uh, our company uh, does a really good job of uh, keeping track of these things because it's a very expensive or can be a very expensive fine if uh, and I forgot what the figure is per passenger, but it's something like five thousand dollars or maybe more than that per passenger. So if you have one hundred and fifty passengers, uh, that those fees can really add up. And as I said, Acme does a really good job of watching when we block out of a gate and uh, sends us messages via the ACAR system to uh, ask us for updates or uh, you know to provide information as to when to make uh, public addresses to the passengers and other things, other requirements that this uh, rule uh, makes us uh, do. So um, I've not 
and and, and I think that Acme is very conservative when it comes to uh, whether the, whether or not we're going to get close to exceeding it and and plays it safe by having us return to a gate or a, a suitable disembarkation point to uh, so we don't hold the passengers hostage. So I've not had anything that's even gotten close. Dispatch Greg, that might have something to do with the fact that I fly early in the day and and this type of thing, at least domestically, would more likely happen probably later in the day or the evening, uh, especially during uh, the summer, spring, and early fall weather systems that come through in the southeast. How about you, Dana? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I actually haven't gotten close either. I mean, it's been. I've had some delays where it's been a little bit more than two hours. You know, we start getting those messages from our control center. Have, have the people, you know, have been they've been offered water and have they been off, offered the opportunity I think, to use the restroom or something like that? I don't remember it because, again, with like you, Jeff, uh, we manage through the these type of situations uh, pretty well at our company. So, um, and and you know, fortunately, we we fly into at least you and I the aircraft that we fly. Uh, we avoid some of those really heavy. Um, delay stations that tend to tend to be really problematic like the northeast stations uh in the new york area um and i have to admit i mean atlanta is is fantastic when it comes to uh, usually fantastic when it comes to dealing with the uh, weather events so um yeah, we're, we're really lucky on our aircraft that's all i have to say i agree uh he also adds uh dispatch greg says to nick Europe has different regs regs regarding tarmac delays. Have you ever been in that situation? Uh, no. Um, quite honestly, uh, most of uh, the European, or most of the flights into European airports I did were at to my destination. And I never really had a delay of more than, uh, you know, 45 minutes waiting for my gate. So uh, that was really not a thing. But, I mean, the rules are slightly different uh, in Europe. Uh, you don't have to be offered uh, a chance to deplane unless uh, the flight has sat on the ground for more than five hours. Um, but you uh, are entitled to some compensation, particularly if the crew haven't done things like uh, offered you drinks, uh, made PAs, uh, allowed uh, air conditioning and uh, toilet use, etc. So uh, they're pretty well covered in, there are an awful lot of uh, websites out there which will look to see if you can claim uh, compensation from the airline that has delayed you, and they have all the rules there. Well, and, and Jeff, to, just to get our, our, uh, our accuracy rating back up a little bit. Yeah, the I'm DOT always for that. Can, the DOT can fine up to $27,500 per passenger. I knew it was something ridiculously high. It's it's absurd. I knew it was ridiculous, too. When you said $5,000, i am like thinking to myself, yeah, no. Well, I was thinking that, I, that was kind of really ridiculous, too. But, yeah, 27500 Wow. Per passenger. Per passenger. Uh, yeah, the passenger the frustrating thing for us, of course, is that it may have absolutely nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it could be... An, an incident on the airfield it could be you know an aircraft broken down blocking our, our route you know there are lots and lots of reasons why you may not be able to get to where you're going across an airfield and it's just incredibly frustrating because we as pilots want to get off, get off as quickly as we can and big on me held up is just you know something we try our best to avoid but you know sometimes you just can't move 
and unfortunately, just don't don't be thinking that uh, that twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars fine per passenger goes to you, the passenger who was <laughs> who was uh, inconvenienced. It doesn't. It's just a fine that the airline pays to the government. And uh, again, and never I, to be seen again. Yeah, yeah. Who knows where that goes? <laughs> um, but and the other thing um, that I wanted to say that I've now forgotten. It was a really clever thing too. Very, I was impressed with what I was going to say. Just don't remember what it was. Dang it. Hmm. Oh well. I guess, oh, I guess the sad thing is that the reason why the at least here in the U.S. they had to establish these regulations for delays on the tarmac is because, uh, and is probably true in pretty much every career field. Uh, some idiots out there who allowed this thing to just, you know, get out of control completely and held people on airplanes way longer than they should have. And uh, so because of that, now we're all paying for it and, you know, have very strict regulations. But for the most part, I think, you know, even before these tarmac rules were in effect, um, most, you know, 99.9% of the pilots out there were doing their our best. As Nick said, we don't want to be on the airplane either. We want to you know, get the passengers to the gate, get them off the airplane or, or when we're leaving, get in the air and get you to your destination as soon as we can. Uh, there's no, there's no benefit to us. And, uh, again, as I said, there are a couple instances, very well publicized instances of people basically holding hostage people in terrible conditions on airplanes. And that, that should never have happened. No. And you know what they say? One one circumstance where you poop the diaper, we all wear diapers. That's right. And I think I need to change mine right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And also, Dispatch Greg sent us some audio feedback. So if you're wondering, hmm, I wonder what Dispatch Greg's voice sounds like. Well, here we go. Howdy, APG crew. This is Dispatch Greg calling from Chicago. Cold and snowy Chicago, might I add. Hey, it's been a while since I've left some audio feedback, so I thought I'd send uh, some feedback today and throw some fuel into the fire regarding the uh, topic discussed on episode 399, which was uh, the window shade debacle. Uh, so uh, just as a, a quick story here, I was on a flight a few months ago um, from Chicago O'Hare to Las Vegas, and... Uh, after the door was closed, the captain had come out to PA and introduced himself and had uh, requested that for takeoff and landing that folks keep their window shades open. And the reasoning behind it was if they needed to, if flight attendants needed to evacuate the aircraft, that they would be able to get a good situational awareness of what was going on with the window shades open, if there was a fire or something else going on with the wing. I had never heard a captain actually make the announcement. Now, of course, it's the FAA doesn't require that it's open uh, during takeoff and landing, but uh, it was a simple request from the captain to the passengers to please keep them open. So I thought that was very nice. Uh, too many times I see people just keep their window shades closed, taxi, takeoff, and landing, and it really bugs me. I'm one of those folks that like to see the outside and I almost get a little claustrophobic um, when the window shades are closed uh, so I 
I, of course, as a employee of an airline, I have to fly standby. And I don't always have the option of having a, a window seat. But uh, I've made comments to people sometimes just kind of saying, hey, do you mind opening the window for takeoff, landing? Some people just kind of look at me and others, some do and some don't comply. But uh, yeah, so I've actually started a hashtag on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, hashtag window shades open. Anyway, I thought I'd pass that story along. Um, but I do think the FAA should have um, a law or something that says, you know, for takeoff, taxi takeoff and landing, that the window shades need to be open. You know, once you're in the air and all that, fine, you can close them. But, you know, if for critical phases of flight, it should be open. So that's my two cents. Uh, so that's really all I wanted to say for now. Uh, I enjoyed meeting all of you up in Oshkosh. Hope we can all do it again next year, if not sooner. Um, maybe if you're in Chicago, we can do a meetup. Um, or I might be up in the Atlanta area in January. Uh, so we'll see. Um, that's all I have to say for now. So stay warm, everybody. If you're coming through Chicago, let me know. Or I guess I can check your calendars to see if you're coming through Chicago. <laughs> anyway, have a good day and uh, tailwinds and uh, all that fun stuff. Bye. Well, thank you, Dispatch Greg. And uh, we'll certainly uh, let everybody know if we're going to be in the Chicago area. Uh, had a nice meet up there a few months back with some fine folks in the Chicago area. And uh, look forward to doing that again sometime. Um, check out the uh, schedules that Dana and I have on the APG community calendar, and you can find that on our airlinepilotguide.com website. And I have to stand up right now for a few moments because I have a cramp in my left foot. <laughs> Poor Jeff. Okay. I know how that feels. After it's like, yeah. okay, I'm hoping this is going to go away. It's not going away. I have to stand up. Okay. I guess I'm used to standing up at, uh, at home in my home studio. Okay. Uh, any comments uh, regarding Dispatch Greg's um, feelings regarding the window shades? I think that that matches our feelings about that subject. Yeah, I think so. But uh, I'm, it's been a subject we've talked about the last couple of shows. And funny enough, it's been pitching up on my Twitter feed quite a lot. And uh, watching people have quite a vicious um, argument about the window shade that was sort of between them. Uh, oh. One guy would slap it up and one guy would slap <laughs> it down. It just went on for ages. And eventually one of the cabin crew had to come and intervene. I'm going, really, guys? God, love me. It's my territory. Stay away from exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah at, at least they don't do like the animals, or hope they don't, and, and start urinating on it to mark it as their property. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and if you if you really have that much of an affinity to operating the window shade, then when you get a ticket, try to book the window seat. Then you have full control of the window shade. Oh well they both had it, but the uh, It was between the, the two. It was sort of between the two seats. Yeah. It wasn't precisely in line. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh yeah. And what's worse mm -hmm. is when you <laughs> when you get a quote window seat as, as i've had in the past and i'm thinking score i have the window and then i get a, get to my seat and there is no window <laughs> it's just a wall love it yeah it's not a window seat <sighs> anyway oh barbara 
in the uh, YouTube chat. Jeff, more water and mountain salt in your diet will help your cramps. Well, it's not like they happen very often, Barbara. <laughs> I think it's the first cramp I've had in quite some time. But thank you. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Let me write that down. Okay. Uh, anything else uh, want to talk about with uh, Dispatch Greg before we move on to Alex's feedback? No, I'm no good. I thought that was excellent. All right. Uh, Alex sent us some feedback. A few years ago, I listened to a recording on YouTube. He gave us the link of Doug White, a pharmacist, uh, take control and land at King Air after the flight's captain became incapacitated with his entire family on board. Um, it truly is an incredible recording, and I highly, re highly recommend giving it a listen if you're unfamiliar with the event. Let me prefix this next part by stating that, spoiler alert, other than the captain, everyone else survived as Mr. White was able to successfully land the plane on a... Oh, you spoiled it for us. Darn it. Oh, well, yeah, everybody successfully uh, made it through the incident successfully, and he was able to land the plane on a runway. One of the things that caught my attention was that I believe he stated that he had a private ASEL certificate, or at least some training in that capacity. What's the ASEL? Airplane single engine land, I guess? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, given that the King Air is a high-performance, twin-engine, complex aircraft, I was wondering, hypothetically, uh, if he could log the flight time from when he took the controls. After researching 14 CFR 61.51, I'm still a bit unsure, as he wouldn't qualify as a pilot in command, as part uh, the regulations define the pilot in, com in command as someone who, one, has final authority and responsibility for the operation and safety of the flight, Two, has been designated as pilot in command before or during the flight. And three, holds the appropriate category, class, and type rating, if appropriate, for the conduct of the flight. Parts one and two seem pretty straightforward, but number three is where I think there would be an issue. My gut tells me that, given the situation, it would be nuts if he weren't able to claim those hours. Maybe there's precedent for this or a different, more straightforward rule than I'm missing. Obviously, the qu this question is an academic exercise, as I'm sure he could care less about the flight time, but interested to hear what you think. As always, clear skies and tailwinds. Alex. I think Alex has too much time on his hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is an interesting academic exercise, I believe. And you know what? Regardless of whether it's right or wrong, I sure as heck would put that in my logbook if I were the guy with the... Yeah, but it engine. doesn't count to anything. Well, I don't. But you, can I mean, it, you can stick it wherever you I like. I know, that's what I mean. I don't care. Count. I'm going to, and I'll frame it. I'll put it on a, <laughs> make a blow up of the logbook page and frame it and put it in my den or whatever, whatever room you we have. I, I would probably too. <laughs> yeah, you can certainly log the time. However, you can't log it as, as PIC time because unless you have any pilot license, are properly rated for that aircraft, you can't log PIC time. I don't like that answer. Granted, but that's the one he's going to get. <laughs> I know, there you go. Dana's, that's, Dana, that's, Dana, that's has the, the Dana has the right answer. I have uh, the, the emotional answer. You have the emotional answer, I had, you know, and and that is that's 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 it. I mean, you, you can you can log time uh, as dual given or dual received, excuse me, or as pilot command or SIC, of course, obviously for your type rated aircraft. Uh, the King Air, I don't know if it's. A, I think it may be a type rated aircraft. I know there's training 
syllabus and, and systems you have to go through. And, uh, you know, like a flight safety, they have uh, simulators. I don't know if you actually have to have a, a type rating for a King Air. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's above 12. I think the number is 12,500, 12, I think. And yeah, there are probably some models so. of, the, of the King Air that are above that, I would right. imagine. So I'm sure, you know, insurance regulations, you need specific uh, training for it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in, as the rule goes, unless you are a pilot in command and or rated on the aircraft, you can't log it as PIC. You can log time. but And you have to have a hat. You have a captain's yeah, you have hat. To have a hat. Yeah. You have Captain to have hat. a captain's hat, and you have to have four stripes. <laughs> and if you haven't got or, those, you definitely can't. You're out of it. luck. Yeah. Out of luck. I'm just going to try and keep us above 50% today, guys. Japan. Well, it's it's a it's a tough thing to do, Dana. <laughs> hey, HR is not here, so somebody's got to step in. Yeah, that's true. Well, Liz is uh, watching us with a with a keen eye, making sure <laughs> we don't go out of bounds. <laughs> uh, now she's she's poking her head with her finger. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, James, number seven. Um, my name's James. Just found your podcast after looking for an airline podcast to expand my podcast horizons. I've only got to listen to a few episodes so far, and I love it. I have no association with any aspect of the airline industry. I just enjoy learning different things, and this show is great. Keep up the awesome work on the show. You've got a brand new fan. Yay! Is that a big-ass fan? No, I, well, he didn't mention his size um so we can't make that uh no i meant his brand oh his brand <laughs> his brand new fan oh a br- uh wow hang on oh yeah. new fan brand he may, he may not know about big ass fans i don't know yes the yeah. very large donkey fan company in uh, yes. lexington kentucky um which we visited. We which so is, every time we see a fan come up, we, yes, we have, have to, to make big ass fan jokes. Yes, especially if you're talking <laughs> about brand names. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dana. I was going to say I'm right up the road in here in Louisville, not too far away from Lexington. Well, get in a car and head on down. See, I uh, may have to see Greg. Edge. He'll give you a nice tour of the place. Hmm. All right. That's um, good. Let's see. Move on. Moving on to uh, eight. We're really kind of knocking out a lot of stuff this time. That's good. Um, Robert writes first. Congrats on four hundred episodes. Thank you. Making sure you all saw the new, well, new, well, gently used DC seven, slowly making its way across Mississippi at nine thousand five hundred feet to Atlanta. And then he has a link to a story in Facebook. This is Robert uh, up in Mayretta near the Big Chicken. Um, you have to be in the Atlanta area to understand that. Uh, and I got a big chicken. Look here. On my, oh, you do have a big chicken on, my, on uh, yeah. your there, shirt. There is another saying for that, Nick. Yes. Well, this is a male chicken, so it's a cock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh Family show, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Oh Family show. And let's continue with, uh, let's see. Oh, wait, is that it? Um, hmm. I guess, where is the story? I thought we had the story there. Maybe I need to click on this. Um, there's a, um, a photo from Plane Finder uh, that shows the uh, DC-7 heading to Atlanta for the Delta Flight Museum. And it, as you said, is a DC-7, uh, slightly used, and uh, it shows its track 
coming from somewhere out west and flying over the Mississippi River right in the Vicksburg area of Mississippi. Um, did either of you click on the link to see what the story is in Facebook? Yeah, there isn't a story that I can oh, okay. see in Facebook. It's just well, I guess, that picture. I guess he's just asking if it, we saw it. it Dana, did you see it? I, I did not see the airplane, but it does say, uh, very pleased to announce our latest acquisition. Okay. DC-7 DC Bravo, November 4887 Charlie, ship number 717. Is in the air flying. Uh, is in the air flying home. The DC-8 left Mesa, Arizona yesterday. Okay. Stopped overnight in Midland, Texas, and is scheduled to arrive in Atlanta around 5 p.m. today. Expecting flyby along north runways and landing to follow. You can track the flight there. So that was uh, the information on Facebook. Okay, good. And that was what uh, just a few days ago, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, November 17th. Okay. So that's uh, yeah. yeah, about five days ago. Five days ago now. Okay. Four days ago. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you uh, for um, making us aware of that, Robert. Um, I, and I guess after they do all their renovations on it, it'll be proudly displayed in that uh, wonderful Delta Flight Museum. So so that's what a 717 looks like. Apparently so. That's an early version of it. <laughs> it <laughs> says Delta, Delta well, it ship 717. Ship 717, it, it, yeah. It is the proper uh, corporation that made it, and that is Douglas. So There you go. I like it. It looks a bit like a Bristol Britannia, but not quite as pointy. Huh. It's a quite a handsome airplane, I think. Oh yeah, I would say so. Yes. Did you see this uh, feedback from Sufian? Uh, he's in France. Yeah. His name is Sufian. Yes. I'm 26. I live close to Paris, Paris, near Fontainebleau, in France. I'm a new. You love that accent I use when I try to speak French. Well, I might, but I don't know Sufian that well. No, probably not. I'm a new listener to of your aviation and airline podcast initiative. Oh, wow. Now we're an initiate initiative. That's nice. I'm uh, very interested in aviation, airlines, airports, aircraft, etc., ATC, etc. I read or I read aviation news. I listen to podcasts. I listen to liveatc.net. I worked at the Charles de Gaulle Airport as a passenger service agent at Air France. I also worked in the de-icing services of the airport. I was the de-icing coordinator uh, on the radio and also the technician driving the heavy vehicles. I applied type 1 and type 4 fluids. It was an amazing experience for sure. I'll bet it was, especially for the, the big birds out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's stinky too, I would have thought. Yeah. It is. Uh, do you have experience de-icing airplanes, Dana? Is that yes, one of the I things do. you have in your portfolio? Yes, I do in Boston. Okay. Yeah, but that's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, especially being out in the bucket in the middle of the winter. And, <laughs> you know, there is no, and nowadays you see a lot of these buckets that are enclosed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the guys are, you know, have heat and very comfortable. Oh, no, that's not the way it was. You're out in the blowing snow, cold, and it was just a buck, kind of like a bucket to get to a power line. Um, so it was very, very cold, very smelly, very sticky. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. Very um it explains a lot of why I am the way I am nowadays <laughs> with all that yeah, you're right. it, does. Suck in. it does. Yeah. It does. Um let's see. Before the planes take off, we have the responsibility to clean the aircraft, remove ice, snow, frost, and any contamination on the wings, fuselage, wingtail, and other surfaces. The first podcast I listened to is the APG 001 Air France 447 update. 
I know it's an old one, but it's awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm going through an English training course right now. I've just begun last week. It's a pleasure to hear your voice. I understand you. You speak very clearly, dear Mr. Nielsen. You have great microphones. Oh, thanks for noticing. Um, <laughs> the judge of that case did not recognize Airbus or Air France uh, as responsible for the crash. The families made an association in France, and you can find that here, and they gives us a link to the Association of Families associated with the uh, Flight 447. In one of their articles, they say that the pilots thought that the aircraft was going down, so uh, he pulled up on the side stick controller. Imagine all the conflicting alarms with no visibility outside. Too much trust on automation is a serious issue when it comes to the pilots flying, again, the plane in a bad situation. Yeah, it was a very bad situation. Here's my question for you, Captain Jeff Nielsen. What do you think about Air France 447 cases results? What are your updates in 2019? Um, hmm. I don't know if we've had any Air France 447 updates. I think that's what he's referring to in 2019. Pretty much an open and shut case by now, I think, isn't it? Yes, uh, I think so. Yeah. I think he's referring to the result of the uh, court cases oh, in France. Okay. I don't really know that much about that. Do you know anything about that, Nick? No, not really, okay. other than uh, Airbus and uh, France apparently were not found responsible. Well, they were unable to, to establish exactly who was responsible for the crash. Uh, and I don't know if you can have a mutual level of responsibility, but uh, I don't really understand it. I did take a look at the articles, and most of them are in French, and uh, whereas uh, Sofiane is... Uh, learning very good English. Uh, I am very poor at French, so I wasn't able to glean much, I'm afraid. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, do you think you have listeners in France and Europe? Oh, for sure we do. Um, I know that uh, on occasion, although we haven't heard from private pilot Arnaud uh, for a while, he lives in uh, Paris as well. And that's too bad there isn't a way for me to get the two of you together. Uh, but uh, there's at least two APG uh, fans in the Paris area of France and several in Europe for sure. Uh, in fact, a lot of them are probably here right now in the, in the chat room with us or some of them anyway. So yeah, we have a worldwide community, which is really one of the best things about doing this whole endeavor or initiative. Um, and, uh, here's a question about, um, the actual real airline that Dana and I work for. And I, the only thing I can tell you, uh, Sofian, is to um, use Google and put in these search terms, MD88 and ATL. <laughs> I think you'll find <laughs> right away the actual airplane or airline that we fly for. Uh, and he says, what are your plans for 2020? Um, I don't know. What are our plans for 2020, guys? Um, I don't have many. Uh, keep doing uh, shows every week, maybe more. Keep yeah. doing shows, keep passengers safe, keep having fun. Yeah. Keep I'm losing gear. I'm going to Cornwall. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're we're all invited for that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was my understanding. Um, yeah. But we, with that. We, do, uh, <laughs> we do have plans to have some kind of a big meetup um, over on uh, Nick's side of the pond uh, in 2020. So, um, But we haven't uh, really gotten too far uh, de de determining where and when we're going to do that. 
but uh, we'll certainly uh, announce it on the show when we do formulate plans. And also, uh, please follow us on the uh, social media uh, places that we are located and uh, join Slack by sending Hillel an email. And uh, also, just keep an eye on our uh, community calendar. And I think that'll, that'll keep you covered. And again, he says, congratulations on your 400th podcast, Mr. Sofian Vertahi. And we do actually have uh, uh, Ethan Allen. Ethan Allen? Ethan Allen. From Le Chateau de Croissant. Wow. Now, Ethan Allen is not a French name. It's a, it's a well, actually, it's a, a, a manufacturer of very nice uh, traditional furniture here in the United States. And I think that uh, also Ethan Allen was one of the... Um, one of the those folks that uh, the the British don't like that they were uh, some of the people that were uh, signing the uh, uh, the uh, Declaration of Independence wasn't he one of the people that signed that Dana maybe you can look that up see if I... he must be a fairly old bloke then yeah he's very old now uh, still making furniture uh, not as well as uh, he did when he was a younger man <laughs> um, it's it's kind of really kind of sloppy and, and embarrassing they, they they don't display his actual work. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, have you? It, it, yes, of course I have. He's a uh, <clears throat> interesting looking fellow. Um, we're not talking about the Ethan just, Allen that's in the chat room, though. We're talking about this other Ethan Allen. <laughs> we're talking about the Ethan Allen that was born in 1738 and uh, passed away in 1789. And was he involved in, in anything to do with the formation of the United States of America? Uh, he was um, scanning through here real quick. He okay. fought in the French and Indian War and American Revolution. Uh-huh. Um, and I, he tried to have Vermont become a part of Canada, and then he died in 1789. So I don't believe he was a signer of the... Oh, well. I thought he had he something to do with that. But he lived in that time frame, at least. And you said he was Canadian? No, he says... Uh, after the war, he petitioned to have Vermont become a state. Oh, in that okay. field, he tried to have Vermont become part of Canada. Ah, gotcha. And he died during that time frame. Oh, okay. Apparently. Interesting. So, well, this Ethan Allen, the most important one, is in our chat room and from La Chateau de Croissant. Croissant? I don't know. I'm, I'm not very good at accents, so sorry about that, Ethan. But uh, so. Uh, we have at least three now that we know of in France. All uh, right. Anything else? No. No. Okay. Um, I, here's a, I'll do this one quickly before we get on to the best part of the show, which is the old pilot's plane tale for this episode. Uh, I was uh, looking at my Twitter feed, and uh, one of the people I follow is, uh, and a lot of you I know do as well, Tom. Podolek, I think this is the way you pronounce his name, uh, P-O-D-O-L-E-C. And this is uh, Tom Podolek Aviation, and at T-O-M-P-O-D-O-L-E-C. And he has a little bit of audio, and let me play it for you. And this occurred in Toronto, uh, Pearson International Airport. Uh, the um, audio is coming from a United flight, and... Let's take a listen. It's very quick. Coordinator, United 459. Yeah, 459, David. Yeah, I called you for our clearance. Uh, no, you called me for the uh, for the initial uh, call for the pushback. Okay, you're Apron. Got it. Thanks so much, United 459. 
Very good, thanks. And uh, are you ready to push back now or no? Negative, Ghost Rider. Pattern full. Okay, thanks. Give me a call as soon as you're ready. Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. <laughs> some some nice humor there from the film Top Gun. All right. The, uh, the, the, uh, I'm glad you thought it was the, funny. the apron controller. Uh, I thought it was it, very amusing. I thought yeah, it was, it was funny because the apron controller kind of chuckled a little bit uh, when he heard him say that. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it wasn't that funny. I was okay. Maybe Jeff, do me a favor. Don't send us any more feedback. <laughs> it was me. I sent that feedback. Okay. Well, without further ado, we're awfully close to that point in the show uh, where we play. This week's installment of The Plain Tale by the Old Pilot and this week's installment is entitled, If It Ain't Boeing. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. If it ain't Boeing. Like so many immigrants, Wilhelm Boeing, spelt B-O-I-N-G, had emigrated to the United States in 1866 to make a new life in the young country. He left behind a well-to-do family in Austria, and with little money of his own, he made his way labouring. He met a lumberman, Karl Ortmann, and worked with him until he married his daughter. Soon he was able to go into business for himself, harvesting the mineral and lumber resources of Minnesota, becoming a rich and successful man. His son, William, was to grow up with the anglicized surname Boeing, with an E, and he was given an elite education at a Swiss boarding school and then Yale University, studying engineering. When his father died, he used his inheritance to build up his own successful timber business. In 1910, he attended an air show in Los Angeles which sparked a lifelong interest in flying. This blossomed when he met a Naval Academy graduate, George Westervelt. Through him, he got a flight in a Curtis seaplane and decided to become a pilot himself. After learning to fly at the Glenelg Martin Flying School in LA, he purchased his own Martin Model TA seaplane and assembled a crew to help him maintain it. Although he loved flying, he wasn't impressed with the performance of the seaplane, particularly when someone crashed it, and became convinced that he could build something better. His personal wealth gave him the opportunity to throw his hat into an industry that already had 16 other U.S. firms to compete with. With his friend Westervelt, they constructed their first aircraft, an improved version of the Martin Model TA called the Blue Bill, later to be named the Boeing and Westervelt B&W-1. Its keel, wet and glistening in the sun, first broke clear of the water on the 15th of June 1916, and the Boeing Company was officially born on the same day when William filed Articles of Incorporation for the Pacific Aero Products Company. 
William knew that the market for aircraft would be small, but then came the First World War, and when the United States declared war on Germany, he saw his first real opportunity. Working out of their first home, plant number one, the Red Barn in Seattle, they improved on their original design and presented the Navy with their B&W Model C. Sufficiently impressed, William got an order for 50 machines worth over $12 million in today's money. Now named the Boeing Airplane Company, they set to work. Only two years later, they were building Curtis seaplanes as well. But when the war ended and the demand died, William was forced to reduce their payroll from 337 people to only 67. The post-war depression hit Boeing hard, and the era of regular passenger travel was still a long way away, but they found an avenue in mail flights from Vancouver to Seattle, albeit 25 miles north of Seattle, as their aircraft were a bit short of range. Boeing branched out with furniture making to keep his woodworkers busy, and then he got a contract servicing military aircraft. His relationship with the U.S. services paid off when he won a contract to build 20 bombers for the U.S. Army. The Boeing GA-1 and 2 were heavily armoured triplanes that the Army designed and Boeing built, but the contract was soon cancelled when they were found to have poor visibility, climb performance, manoeuvrability and range. It was rumoured that a GA-1 survived until 1926, and Kelly Field pilots, who behaved badly, would have the threat of flying it held over them as a punishment. Then came the Contract Airmail Act of 1925. This act freed the Postmaster General from restrictions that prevented him from using private companies to carry mail. William bid for and won the contract to carry airmail from San Francisco to Chicago, on a price so low, it was almost thrown out for being completely unrealistic. In the Boeing Model 40A, a biplane powered by a Liberty V-12 water-cooled engine, the newly formed Boeing Air Transport Company was created. By 1927, over 2.5 million miles were travelled by U.S. airmail service planes, carrying over 22 million letters. The revenue that Boeing created allowed it to expand into passenger services alongside the mail in the same aircraft. By 1930, the company was carrying 30% of the airmail and passenger traffic in the States, and in recognition of the company's achievements, Seattle named their first municipal airport Boeing Field. At the dedication ceremony, William Boeing declared the day was just about the happiest one of my life. When changes to the Airmail Act impinged on Boeing's success, the company decided that a bold move was required and they created a design for the Army's new long-range heavy bomber, the XB-17. This massive, heavily armoured and powerfully defended four-engine aircraft impressed the Army so much that despite killing the Army and Boeing test pilots in a crash during a competition fly-off, they ordered 13 for evaluation. 
the press soon coined a name for this awesome aircraft, the Flying Fortress, and it went on to serve nobly in every World War II combat zone, and nearly 13,000 of them would be built. At the same time as its bomber development was having such success, Boeing was producing one of the most iconic flying boats ever to grace the seas, the B-314 Clipper. The largest civil airliner in the world, it operated with Pan Am and carried up to 90 passengers to destinations all over the world. Built for luxury transoceanic air travel, it featured sleeping accommodation, a lounge and separate dining area serving six-course meals cooked by chefs from four-star hotels on gleaming silver platters. The B-17 bomber was only the first in a line of successful collaborations with the U.S. military. It was followed by the mighty B-29 Superfortress, one of the most technologically advanced aircraft of its era, with many new features, including remote-controlled guns and increased fuel and bomb loads that also made it the world's heaviest production aircraft. The B-29 would draw the war to a close when it dropped nuclear weapons, the first ever to be delivered in anger, onto the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. After the war, B-29s were adapted for roles such as in-flight refueling, anti-submarine patrol and weather reconnaissance. Another wartime development was the conversion of the world's first pressurised cabin transport, the Model 307 Stratoliner which had many components from the B-17, into the C-75 military freighter, which had a new and unusual circular fuselage cross-section. The P-29 and later version the B-50 would get the same treatment when they were redesigned into the C-97 Strato freighter with its iconic double-bubble fuselage. It served in the Berlin airlift as well as both the Korean and Vietnam wars. The civilian version, the Strato Cruiser, would become a great success and serve with airlines all over the world. Following the development of the first turbojet engines, Boeing was in the forefront of large aircraft design with their six-engined B-47 Stratojet strategic bomber. It was first flown by test pilot Robert Robbins, who had been sceptical about the aircraft, saying that before his flight he prayed, Oh God, please help me through the next two hours. Robbins soon realised that he had an extraordinary aircraft on his hands. It proved to be a record-breaking design, and in 1949 took all the coast-to-coast -coast speed records. It remained the backbone of SAC until late into the 1950s when the B-52 Strato Fortress entered service. Initially designed as a replacement for the Convair B-36 Peacemaker, this eight-engined swept-wing monster was to rule the skies and be a workplace for generations of pilots. Hardly a sleek design, it quickly earned the nickname Buff for Big Ugly Fat Fella. Other versions are available. Despite more advanced aircraft coming onto the scene, such as the Convair Hustler, the North American Valkyrie, the Rockwell B-1 Lancer, and the Northrop Grumman B-2 Spirit, 
the Boeing design proved to be a vital part of the Air Force's infantry from its introduction right up to the present day. With a combat range of well over 8,000 miles without refueling and a weapon capacity of 70,000 pounds, it presents a formidable deterrent capable of carrying the fight to just about anywhere on the globe. During Operation Desert Storm alone, the B-52 flew about 1,620 sorties and delivered 40% of the weapons dropped by coalition forces. In parallel to their success with military aircraft, Boeing was soon to become dominant in the world of civil airliners. They weren't the first on the scene with a jet airliner, that honour going to the troubled de Havilland Comet, but their first would become a great commercial success. A follow-on from the Dash 8, the 707 truly opened the jet age to passengers and it would serve with over 150 civil operators throughout its life and a great number of air forces as well in both its civil and military versions. Although described by pilots as being agricultural and having some tricky handling difficulties, many concerns were allayed when Boeing test pilot Tex Johnson demonstrated a barrel roll in a Dash 8 over Lake Washington near Seattle. As competing aircraft arrived on the scene, such as the Douglas DC-8, Boeing responded by developing and improving the 707 to keep their market share. They widened the fuselage and even built a short-range version, the 720. The original Dash 8 design would also be used as the basis for the KC-135 tanker and E-3A WACs, both still flying today. Boeing again showed its flair for innovation and design when it introduced the 727 onto the market. This mid-sized three-engine narrowbody airliner with a T-tail housed its third engine in the base of the fin and kept a clean, uncluttered wing that was highly efficient. The wing's array of Kruger flaps, extending leading-edge flaps and triple-slotted Fowler flaps produced an excellent lift coefficient that allowed operations from small runways while still giving the aircraft a long range. The 727 was to be Boeing's only trijet, and it proved very popular with its pilots. It was a reliable and versatile aircraft which became the core of many airlines' fleets. The successor to the 727 was the ubiquitous 737. Originally designed as a shorter-range, lower-cost aircraft to complement the 707 and the 727, it has grown to become a world-beating design. So successful was it that it was stretched and developed from its original 115-seat design to one that could carry twice as many. To accomplish this, the design has grown by nearly 50 feet in length. So versatile and popular since its introduction in 1967, 10,500 737s have been built. It can be seen in countries all over the world, and it has formed the backbone of many famous airlines, and military versions serve across the globe. The story of the Boeing 747 deserves a tale all of its own. 
The design started as a need to fulfill the USAF's requirement for a very large strategic transport aircraft, a competition that Lockheed would win with the C-5 Galaxy. Even before Boeing lost, one trip, president of Pan Am, had asked for an aircraft with twice the capacity of the Boeing 707. Joe Sutter took over the design and from his team's work came an aircraft known and loved in every corner of the earth. From its double-deck fuselage, reached by a beautiful spiral staircase to its excellent handling characteristics, it would herald a world of air transport that everyone could afford and it became the darling of the flying public. Boeing famously bet the company on the success of the 747 as Pan Am wanted only 25 and Boeing needed to build 400 to break even. It was a gamble that paid off and bore them great success. Boeing understood that the economics of the big twin-engine airliners made sense. Over the years they have produced a family of big twins from the 757, the 767 and the fabulously successful 777. I wish I had time to describe them all, but needless to say, each in turn was a groundbreaker and immensely popular, but none more so than the 777. And I look forward to seeing how the latest version, the 777X, with its folding wingtips, gets on. Since it first entered commercial service in 1995, it's gone from success to success, and sales of this long-range widebody have now exceeded those of the old Queen, the 747. Nowadays, the flagship of Boeing's range is the 787 Dreamliner, a state-of-the-art computer-driven aircraft that is capable of competing with the most advanced airliners flying today. Sadly, I haven't been able to touch on all that Boeing have accomplished by a long way, but I've done my best to pick out some of the highlights. Of course, not everything Boeing has touched has turned to gold. Boeing's 1957 submission for the Mach 3 long-range supersonic bomber competition was a monstrous design incorporating jettisonable outboard fuel tanks to feed the era's notoriously thirsty engines, each with their own wings and tailplane as big as a B-47. When he first saw the 42-inch model, General Curtis LeMay barked, This is an airplane! This is a three-ship formation! Boeing's enormously expensive six-year foray into supersonic transport also ended up in disaster with little to show for the vast sums invested in the failed design than a mock-up. 60,000 layoffs followed and a billboard was erected near SeaTac Airport in 1971 that read, Will the last person leaving Seattle turn out the lights? Its most recent troubles concerning the development of the 737 MAX have also had a strong negative impact on the company, and many are rightly concerned that the hard-earned reputation built up over the past 103 years has been irrevocably tarnished. Without doubt, it has had an enormous impact, but Boeing has a historic strength and powerful following that will undoubtedly see it through. I feel sure 
that it will rise above this worrisome period and people will again feel confident to say, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. Now, if you could just give me that voiceover without the music in the background, Nick, I'd love it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's a great story. It's a great company. Yeah. I think it deserved telling. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, you just have to really look at their contribution to aviation through more than 100 years of constant aircraft production. And, uh, well, not every company is going to go through life with a perfect record, but Boeing's come pretty damn close, and they have produced some of the most iconic aircraft that we have ever seen and may ever see. So I take my hat off to them, except I won't, because it's a Boeing hat. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, that was very interesting. Uh, you know, one of my favorite Boeings, uh, one that I've never actually got to see in real life and I've only seen pictures of um, and have read a book about uh, based on a uh, plain tale that you did uh, some time ago. Uh, the, uh, what was it called? The long way or the wrong way around or the long way around or something like that. The, uh, the Bo- long way around. Uh, yes. The Boeing uh, the three, 314, right? Uh, the the uh, flying boat. That's right. Yeah. The clipper. Yeah. What a, what an amazing airplane. I just thought that was a really, really, great airplane well that was a that was an um, a, an era of amazing luxury and uh, i hate to think what the cost of a ticket was in modern day terms but outside the reach of you me and a huge percentage of the population the only people that really were able to travel on those aircraft were you know company executives government uh, high government officials that sort of thing because it was enormously expensive but they did travel in fantastic comfort and then that uh, that boeing um strata fortress is uh, just an amazing airplane as well and they said that that thing is still expected to be flying as Far into the future is what twenty forty or twenty fifty? I think some. You're said. referring to the B V fifty two. Yeah, the yeah. I know what an incredible airplane. I I love the fact that uh, three generations of pilot from the same family, grandfather, father, and son, have flown sometimes the very same airframe. Isn't that remarkable? That is I remarkable. It's incredible. Now I can't wait to hear this uh, plane tale that you're going to do. I'm hoping. Uh, about the Airbus and how that whole thing came about. Well, it's a much shorter story, uh, so I might have to wait for a few years until it's grown a bit. Oh, well, we don't have that long to wait. <laughs> it's a lot simpler if you think about how long Airbus has been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quite honestly, it's a European mishmash company, so it doesn't have quite the same spirit, I think, huh. than Boeing does, which was started, after all, by one bloke. True. And uh, I, I really got a kick out of the fact that uh, now behind the scenes, and I don't know how many of you listening to the show, the audio only podcast, know that uh, Nick likes to refer to the Boeing name as B O I N G, kind of like the sound that maybe a spring would make as it's uh, bouncing along. <laughs> um, but I thought it was really funny that uh, the uh, the original Boeing that started this whole thing. Uh, spelled his name without the E. 
And that's a, it's pretty uh, profound and ironic, I think. Uh, absolutely. His, or certainly his father did. I think by the time William Boeing came along, uh, they had anglicized their name. But when they, that family came from Austria, immigrants to uh, America, uh, they were Boeing, I think Boeing. that's how you would pronounce it. B-O-I-N-G. Uh, it has like an umlaut over the O, I think, right? It did. I don't know quite how that's pronounced. but Yeah, uh, I don't either. Maybe one of our German slash Austrian friends out there will uh, send us an audio recording to pronounce that original B O with an umlaut I N G. So we'll find yeah, out. But uh, it is a great story. Uh, I personally prefer the story I told about Cessna. Uh, I, I find that quite, you know, uh, a mm -hmm. little more touching. He was a little earlier on. Uh, the fact that. Uh, William Boeing was actually an incredibly wealthy man, and uh, he had had a very privileged education, and he was really setting up a, a company uh, with using his huge resources uh, from the lumber business he ran. So there was little chance of him uh, uh, going down, whereas many other companies were built by uh, individual entrepreneurs who were making their way in the industry. Boeing was really seeing an opportunity to build uh, a company, um, and he had the resources to do it properly. So it's an interesting story. I like it. Though. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for that. And right. Pleasure. we uh, still have time to uh, do a few more items in the feedback folder. Um, Excellent. So uh, good friend, longtime uh, member of our APG community, from the Sydney area down under, this gentleman's name, Ray Davis. He sent us some audio. Actually, he sent me some audio feedback in Facebook, and I asked Ray if it would be okay if I played it on the show. And he said, I would uh, be more than happy for you to do that. So here we go. G'day, Jeff. Ray from Sydney, Australia here. Mate, uh, just wanted to send you a belated congratulations on the 400th episode of Airline Pilot Guy. Um, thanks very much for sharing your side of the cockpit door and uh, he's hoping that uh, there'll be many more stories, tales, funnies and uh, just all round good humour take care and uh, wishing you unlimited visibility and tailwinds you take care now Bye for now. Thank you, Ray. Um, always good to hear from you uh, down under. He um, told me that uh, he was he recorded this when he was out on patrol at the uh, moment and he was driving through some bushland. And I'll uh, put the uh, photo that he took out the front windshield of his vehicle. Looks like a very very dark night in the bushland of the outside of Sydney. Just because, just before he left the road, when he hit that corner, ah, <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we haven't heard from Ray since he recorded that. So. No, he, he's lucky there isn't some kangaroo bouncing off his bonnet, actually. <laughs> and uh, finally, unless we can find, we can probably scrounge up some more feedback somewhere if we want. Um, this is from John. This is kind of an unusual, not a common thing for our show to get to the point where we're actually going to hit all of the feedback on one episode. Um, 
John uh, writes in with, uh, here is a link to a YouTube video by Vass Aviation of a CRJ-200 trying to reposition, uh, or they, uh, I, I guess a lot of the regional airlines call it a repo. Um, I always think of repo as a repossession, uh, where people come like from the bank to get your car because you've missed several payments. But apparently the uh, lingo uh, for a lot of airlines is uh, when they reposition a flight, they call it a repo. Uh, it was a repositioning flight from JFK to LaGuardia. There is some confusion between the flight crew and controllers about their clearance. The flight crew asks if they can do the flight VFR and they get approved. Talk about unusual. Blue skies and tailwinds. And uh, he has a link to the YouTube video. I don't think we really need to play it. I don't. I know that uh, for the mainline carrier that uh, Dana and I fly for, uh, there are some very limited circumstances when we can fly our airliner uh, in, in, using visual flight rules. Now, we fly in VMC, vis Visual Meteorological Conditions, all the time. Uh, we fly visual approaches quite often, uh, but that, that is not a VFR um, maneuver. It's an actual IM. Uh, IFR, in instrument flight rules uh, type of approach in visual meteorological conditions. But to actually operate a Part 121 flight, at least for our company, is, as I said, very restricted. And uh, one circumstance might be that you're at a place out in the middle of nowhere and you, or for whatever reason, you have trouble getting a clearance for your instrument flight rules uh, flight plan. Uh, we are allowed to take off in. VFR using visual flight rules and then immediately after takeoff perhaps you know having the radio reception necessary at that point to uh, call up uh, air traffic control and get an instrument flight plan using uh, instrument flight rules um, but to operate a flight such as this company did from uh, Kennedy to LaGuardia and we do that do it all the time uh, Acme mainline but we are not allowed to do it under visual flight rules or VFR. But this, um, I guess they were getting frustrated trying to get a clearance, and I guess they had a long um, uh, time from when they were going to be allowed to go. And they said, well, can we just fly VFR? And they said, yeah, sure. And they gave them a squat code, and they took off. And apparently the air traffic controllers in the uh, very, very busy New York uh, airspace were kind of perplexed. They weren't used to seeing uh, an airliner, even even a repositioned uh, flight, uh, operating under VFR or visual flight rules. What do you have to say about that, Dana? I know you flew uh, for, um, before you flew for Acme Mainline, you flew for a regional carrier. And was that something that you were allowed to do? You know, I don't quite remember if we could actually fly VFR at the, that airline. Um, uh, I, I know for the uh, op specs, it'll be very specific in, as to when you can and cannot fly and how you have to, uh, you know, whether you can, obviously not going to fly passengers on a 121 carrier, I would imagine, as a, um, a VFR flight. And only if an, on a ferry would you be able to do that, I would imagine, um, between two airports like that. I mean, I know our rules are 35 miles. You have to be within 35 miles of the airport to accept it, to be able to, you're going to say? Oh, no, that's for a visual <clears throat> approach, which is, an, visual which approach, is an, that's correct. But that's, that's where not, I was going with that. But that's not a VFR um, no. procedure. It's an IFR procedure. 
It is. That's so correct. that really so, has nothing to do with VFR at all. Yeah, I mean, we we can operate in in a in a uh, in a non-controlled environment, um, as in the VFR, as you said, in departure. But that's that's all I I, I know of. I don't know. Um, at the former airline, I do remember doing a couple of test flights uh, around the Macon Airport, which was the uh, maintenance hub for for ASA. Mm-hmm. And we never had to file IFR. We would just go ahead and blast off VFR. So that I know mm-hmm. that we could do in the local area. Yeah. Uh, but going from airport to airport, I don't. I don't know. If, I don't know of anybody that did it. Yeah. Um, I. I have a feeling I heard something very similar to this in opposing bases uh, not long ago. And um, they were um, quite scathing about the fact that this chap or, or the person doing something similar had been released. And they said, if uh, normally if someone is released in that circumstance, which is effectively to jump the queue and uh, get a clearance when one really wasn't available because of uh, traffic congestion, uh, the uh, air traffic agencies that they were moving into uh, were going to be very upset. I mean, extremely upset. Uh, and uh, there would be a lot of um, uh, uh, words passed back down the queue to say why on earth was this bloke released uh, and what's more the aircraft released would be very unlikely to progress very quickly because it's it sounds like effectively they're trying to just jump the queue and get ahead of people who would normally be progressing ahead of them. Yeah, I don't blame them for being upset about that because I don't think that's a legitimate reason to use, even if they're legally... <laughs> or uh, allowed to by their own airlines regulations to uh, to operate that way. Uh, as I mentioned, for us, um, there there's only a very, very restricted circumstances where we could, you know, in other words, you can't absolutely not contact anybody and get, a, get an instrument departure or a flight plan unless you actually get the airplane off the ground and then immediately try to, you know, pick up an IFR. Um, and, and I'm not even sure these days if there's really ever a situation that could happen like that anymore with the, uh, with our technology, with the cell phones and everything else. I mean, you know, we, we routinely use, or I do anyway, uh, cell phones in some of the places that we are operating when the, uh, air traffic control tower, the air traffic control services are not, uh, at that airport uh, operating and it's, you know, an early departure. Um, sometimes we're able to raise the air traffic control uh, people via radio, but a lot of times where you're positioned on the airport or where the airport is positioned, uh, it, you just cannot pick them up. And so you can use your cell phone and call up uh, the um, the uh, flight service station and request your flight plan that way, um, which is, you know, again, perfectly legal for us to do. Um, but uh, not common, but it's um, it's legal. But uh, yeah, this uh, I could understand why the controllers, especially in New York, especially going out of and into a very very busy uh, airport with um, with air carrier aircraft, ninety nine point nine 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 percent using instrument flight rules and IFR flight plans. So um, yeah, I mean we used to carry uh, going to JFK with fuel for Newark, which 
is a hop, skip, and a jump down the road. What is it? About twenty miles away. Yeah, not very far. I mean, it's really right, right next door. Um, and we used to carry over twenty minutes worth of diversion fuel um, because we knew that if we were going to try and uh, divert from JFK to Newark, that was probably the shortest amount of time it was going to be take. It was going to take to get into the queue of traffic. Uh, and that you were probably going to be sent miles out of your way to get out of the JFK pattern and then be fed somewhere into the Newark pattern. So you need, do need a lot of gas in uh, such congested airspace. There's really no way that you can expect to uh, get airborne and just hop 10 miles over the road and land again. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No. Hmm. So uh, I, I just didn't think it was worth... Um playing the audio from that but uh, if you want to check it out uh, it'll be in the show notes and you can uh, watch the vast aviation youtube video that uh, tracks and uh, records the actually they use the uh, audio from liveatc.net which we love to do here on this show and uh, many others do as well Uh, this just in breaking news um, from this from cnn this just happened today thursday morning uh, two U.S. Air Force personnel were killed when two T-38 training aircraft crashed near Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma Thursday morning dur- during a uh, routine training mission, the Air Force said in the statement. This is uh, Vance Air Force Base. Two of their airmen were killed in an aircraft mishap at approximately 9.10 a.m. today. The Air Force initially said that four Air Force personnel had been aboard the aircraft at the time of the incident. Uh, the status of the other two service members was not immediately clear. Uh, yeah, this is a typical uh, U.S. Air Force T thirty eight two ship uh, formation training mission, uh, unless uh, one of the airplanes uh, had a solo pilot in it. It's very common that uh, there would be two pilots in each airplane for a total of four. Uh, let's see. The uh, statement said that Vance emergency response personnel are on scene to treat casualties and assist in recovery efforts. Uh, the twin-engine two-seater T-38 Talon serves as um, an advanced trainer for the U.S. Air Force, and the aircraft is capable of seating a student and instructor. Yeah, true. Or two instructors, which is very dangerous. Uh, the aircraft has served as the Air Force's fighter pilot trainer. Again, the advanced trainer. I'm adding that to this article. Uh, the service recently announced plans to replace the aircraft in coming years. Yeah, and we've talked about that on our show. A joint venture between Boeing and Saab. And I believe it's called, what, the T-7, I think? Um, I always forget the, uh, the the nickname of the thing, or the actual name of the thing. Uh, Red Red something. Red Arrow? No. Red, Is it Red Hawk? Red Hawk, that's it. Red Hawk. Very good. Thank you. Uh, no, it's an American aircraft, so you can use your pronunciation, Jeff. Okay, Red Hawk. Hawk. H-O-K, Hawk. <laughs> uh, we, uh, as we say in Boston, Hawk. Oh yeah, see, his his pronunciation would be closer to yours than mine. Hawk. Anyway, Hawk. Oh, never mind. <laughs> well, that's that's a absolute tragedy. I wonder uh, if they were in the same formation or whether they had just bounced into uh, the wrong piece of airspace. You guys are pretty good at allocating boxes to keep uh, aircraft apart, aren't you? When you're uh, training uh, i don't think it was the same way in our air force what do you mean 
Uh, didn't you, uh, when you went out to do uh, training exercises, you were oh, in our areas a, a, at airspace mm -hmm. box to stay in yes. to do your exercise, so you knew what traffic would be around you and that you your box was relatively sterile? Yes, yes. Uh, we call them military operating areas or MOAs. And, uh, but in this case, I think it's, it was probably a formation training flight. And so the two were in the same space, very close to each other. I would imagine yeah. perhaps, um, uh, they were doing, um, extended trail. Uh, they may have been doing, uh, rejoin maneuvers, uh, like a turning rejoin or straight rejoins. I mean, who knows? I mean, that, that they didn't give us any of that kind of information. Uh, yeah. So uh, I remember we lost, uh, two Nats with four pilots on board, uh, doing, um, you know, just basic formation practice. They did a straightforward crossover turn uh, from battle formation and uh, two of the aircraft uh, hit. There were four mm. of them in the formation and killed four guys, mm. it, which is an absolute tragedy. But these things d uh, do happen. Um, yeah. Certainly, uh, we never had the same sort of separation system uh, in the Royal Air Force. When I was at Valley and we were flying as a student in our little trainers and then later on as an instructor for four years, uh, we just went into a big piece of airspace and tried to keep our eyes up. There was no other way of separating ourselves. So we, uh, you know, we just looked around and tried to spot them. But uh, there's no doubt about it that spotting a hawk, uh, sorry, a gnat, which was a tiny little airplane, had a very small frontal area, was very hard. And I'm surprised more collisions didn't occur. Well, because you guys are so good. That's why. No, I think we're just lucky. <laughs> we're lucky. We <laughs> used the big sky theory. Yeah. No, just hard to hit because they're so small. Ooh. Mm. That's exactly right. Nice gin, this. Uh-oh. We're, we're hitting the gin, huh? I'm afraid so. Okay. Yeah, but it's getting to the end of the show. So yeah, I know. I, 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 that sounds good, actually. Maybe I'll have to get a G&T downstairs. Um, mm. Let's see. Um, just quickly, uh, I found this in our our major feedback folder or the, where everything uh, funnels into. Um, and I believe, was this something that was sent in by you, Liz, uh, regarding the airplanes causing twice as much damage to air quality as they do the climate or as, yeah, uh, not seeing any name affixed to it. So I'm assuming that was from Liz. Um, yep. Uh, let's see, getting back to that article. Uh, so what I would like to do here is say that uh, perhaps this is uh, an anti We're going, going green, green initiative. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. Wow. Okay. Uh, flying is often criticized as a severe contributor to man-made climate change. This is from the Daily Mail.co.uk. Um, however, researchers from MIT argue that it does more damage to air quality. Plane emissions thus lead to around 16,000 deaths per year through pollution. Efforts, wow, really? 16,000 deaths? Uh, efforts to reduce uh, NOx um, emissions. What is that? Nitrous oxide? Okay. Uh, during cruise would be the most beneficial. Um, Airplane travel causes about twice as much damage. We, we just talked about that again. Here we go. Uh, teenage activist Greta Thunberg, for example, famously shunned air, uh, plane travel earlier this year, choosing in, instead to cross the Atlantic by yacht. Oh, and by the way, to keep us above 50%, I 
suggested that she came over in a yacht and she uh, returned home in a some kind of an airplane, but I was wrong. I just learned that um, she um, is a passenger aboard La Vagabond, which is a, um, uh, those of you out there who uh, uh, may know their adventures, um, yachting adventures on YouTube. They have a YouTube channel, and I've been following them for a couple of years now. Uh, they have a very nice catamaran, and uh, apparently they're giving her a lift back across the Atlantic. Oh, we should all be able to afford yachts. Yes, we should. Why shouldn't, why can't we? <laughs> yeah. oh, Good sorry. point. Um, anyway. Um, be, careful, be careful you tread on that one. However, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see where you're going with that one. Um, <laughs> didn't pick that up right away. Uh, it's not a yacht, Dana. It's a stink boat. <laughs> That's right. Don't get them started now. Um, AV, a quote, um, according to um, author of a paper, uh, Sebastian Eastham of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, aviation emissions are an increasingly significant contributor to the anthropogenic climate change. In other words, man-made, uh, man-made, man-caused climate change. They cause 5% of global climate forcing. Uh, when you consider the full flight, which includes emissions from takeoff, cruise, and landing, aircraft emissions are also responsible for around 16,000 premature deaths a year for impaired air quality. Okay, well, if you want to read more of that article, um, please find it in the show notes. And thank you, uh, Liz, for for sending that in. And uh, yeah, that's about all. We're gonna we're gonna shut it down a little bit early today, which is uh, a nice a nice uh, respite from our extremely long shows. Not really early, but uh, a little bit earlier than we don't normally do. And so what we're going to tell you to do is, uh, well, first of all, we're going to thank you for um, listening to our show, for uh, downloading it, for reviewing it, if, you're, um, if you have a chance to do that on iTunes so that other people can help discover the show as well. Um, if you... Um, feel like you're getting a lot of value for the show and you want to help uh, with the financial contributions of the uh, uh, coffee fund cadre. Uh, that information is on our website, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee, but we have many different things available by uh, heading over to our very nice website. Arash Mahin is the one who uh, manages and uh, built that thing for us and keeps it running. And uh, one of which is a, uh, the very wonderful and best part of our show, the uh, Old Pilot's Plain Tales. And you can, I'm trying to pull up our website. Here it is. Okay, website's down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we, uh, they have a, uh, we have a separate uh, page or a, uh, yeah, page for the Plain Tales. Uh, if you're into reading books, especially books related to aviation, uh, Tiffany in Buffalo is our APG librarian, and she maintains a very wonderful uh, category of, or uh, what, what do we call those, a card catalog, <laughs> not really, no cards, of, uh, of uh, books that you may want to read. And if you have any suggestions for us, please contact Tiffany, uh, the librarian, and that's Tiffany at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Our calendar is on there, uh, information about the coffee fund. Uh, there's some merchandise if you want to buy uh, shirts and mugs and all kinds of things like that. That's the uh, APG store. Uh, you can learn about the AP, more about the APG crew. Uh, you can 
see our videos on YouTube, on the uh, special APG on YouTube page, and uh, so much more. So check out the Airline Pilot Guy Show website. And if you are uh, looking for our APG apps, well, they are no longer a thing unless you just happen to still have one on your device. Uh, don't delete it because you won't be able to get it back because it's no longer available on the iOS or Android app stores because we made a decision to uh, just use the website as our main portal and uh, there are instructions in each show note, uh, well, the, late, the last few sh uh, episode show notes on how you can appify or make your um, link to the Airline Pilot Guy Show website uh, look like a little application icon. You can just double click on it and you're right there at the Airline Pilot Guy Show. And it's a responsive um, website, which means that it looks good on a small smartphone, uh, a tablet, or even your desktop, you know, 30 inch screen. So check that out if you would. And uh, we're also on social media. So Nick is going to tell us about that. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter and uh, just append the old uh, handle at APG Crew and on Facebook. We're there if you search for Airline Pilot Guy. Yes. And we're also on Slack. Hillel. Hillel, it's time, time for the show. Time for your thing. Slack. Ah, oh yeah. Delta V. Okay. Um, come over here and tell us all about slack if you don't mind apg listeners please join us on our slack team slack is a communication coordination and sharing platform that works on your mobile laptop or browser on slack we share news and ideas we suggest episode and plain tales topics we plan events and meetups to get into the slack team please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com that's s-l-a-c-k Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. All right. And I guess that's about it. Anything else to talk about before we shut the thing down? No. All right. I'm good. Until next time. All of us here at the APG wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. See you next time. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But 
I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy 